Ingo Swan claims to have used this astral body to travel to distant planets. He tells us how it feels to travel in this energy body. As I've grown older and become more reflective on life, I've often recovered many of the thoughts about existence I had as a child. A major one of these was the separation of consciousness from the body, which was very real when I was a child. You forget about these things as you grow up because they're not part of our cultural impact that we're supposed to think about. But this kind of thing happens in art all the time. The artist seeks to invoke in his paintings concepts which are not academic, but looking towards future images of man. In the case of this one in back of me, uh, I believe and always have believed, and I've returned to it many times in my life, that I am not this body in terms of consciousness, and consciousness can go places where the body cannot. One of these, of course, is the far galaxies. And I tried in this particular painting to capture this kind of a fleeting fluctuation of consciousness. I think it's very real, and many people do too. Then I write this number down again, and when I get to the end of it, to the last digit, I stop, and I hold my pencil there, and then that's the point where I try to eliminate all thoughts from my mind. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. This week, we are going to be chatting with Mr. Paul Elder of the Monroe Institute, talking about remote viewing, all sorts of fun stuff like that. But first, as always... Graham, don't tell me crop circles aren't real Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Uh, pretty good, buddy. Yeah, I'm doing well. Living the dream? Living the dream. As it were? Living the podcasting dream. Sweet. Should yeah. have dreamed higher. Actually, I had a lucid dream the other night. So Did you? Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll save it for the intro to Robert. No, 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 no. can't just spit that out and say save it for later well as you know i've been trying to lucid dream right but i don't know i get confused on when that is our conversation about that is coming out or has it come out yet no we have we talked about it? i think i've talked i think about it's it. next week it was lame i totally became lucid and i was like oh, i have to get this shit together because it was stuff going on i needed to try and control it. i couldn't do anything i had no power at all really I was, yeah i was like what the fuck's going on i'm aware in my dream and i've got nothing well he kind of alluded to that that it's not just stop, go. Yeah. You just got to keep practicing. I that. know. I know. I'm definitely having crazier dreams, longer, all night long, that type of stuff. You just got to hope you don't start having lucid at work dreams, mundane at work dreams. Oh, I know. Yeah. You're lucid for it. Yeah. You well, can't you control can control it. Yeah. Yeah. But you can just, well, you're supposed to be able to just change your environment. Yeah. But it turns out you're bad at that. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? I almost could have guessed. Actually, it is appropriate because Paul Elder works, you know, he teaches for the Monroe Institute, and I'm using their Lucid Dreaming Series DVDs, so. How's that treating you? It's pretty good. It, 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 get, it get the, the beats, the semi-sync going on when you're going to sleep, and then they do these affirmations, and you're listening to the rainfall. It's very soothing. The problem is I wake up with the headphones all, you know, messed up in my all ears. All tangled up. 
I have to shut the computer down, so it kind of ruins the, the vibe. I've had that happen to me, editing. Now that I edit with the laptop, I usually do it on the couch, and I'll just, you know, take a breather. Uh, take two minutes. <sighs> yeah, wake up two in the morning, <laughs> right back to editing. Is that why that episode came out so late last time? I'd like. I was wondering, I was like, what the, the fuck the is he doing at two in the morning? At one time, yeah, that's because I fell asleep, and I woke up at, like, one in the morning. On a school I was, night, too, I was thinking. No, it wasn't, was it? Yeah, I, Sunday night. I was expected it Friday and Saturday, probably, like, all of our no, listeners. this last and then, episode, yeah, no, it, came it came out, out at, like, Sunday. 11 o'clock Sunday night. Oh, was it? But a couple of weeks ago, one came out at, like, I think. Yeah, in the like, middle of the night or something. Yeah, like, three in the morning on a Saturday, or on a friday maybe and that's just because i fell asleep on the couch woke up everything was there i was like god do i really want to try and deal with this tomorrow must have been a weekend if i had work i would have just went to sleep but if not if i don't have to work i might as well just do it then then i don't have to deal with it the next day yeah yeah and then i've woken up at five in the morning and done another one other than that they're usually the same time yeah mm. anyway i digress so, Paul Elder, coming up next. Yeah, we're Monroe Institute Canada. He's got his own little institution out there on Vancouver Island. I want to go. There's I look a lot forward of places to it. Yeah, it was go. a fun one. We are, well, yeah, I guess we should welcome Joey back formally, <laughs> back oh, yeah. to the studio. Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got a proper mic and yeah, proper chair. Yeah, can talk more often. You do, you, still, you do have to talk into the mic, though. Like, yeah, yeah, like lean right in here. Well, I don't, I no, mean, just like good. in the general direction yeah. of. So uh, we have to do remote viewing exercise here, right? Are we doing that now? Do you, do you want to do the that now? OPG hockey card? No, it's not a hockey card. <laughs> do I win? Because it'll sound a little weird in this intro because we tried to do it during Paul Elder's thing, but he kind of wasn't up for it. So we need to have that relaxation period. So we'll probably have to shut the recording off. You'll have to, you'll have to clear your mind for 10 or 15 minutes. Just chill right out and then we go into the remote viewing exercise but you're just dropping this on us after we start recording I've been that telling you every day you didn't say we we're going to stop the recording for 10 minutes well, well that's, that's what we're idea. supposed to do let's throw on a tune we give it two minutes and then we'll try it again another day for 15 minutes off the mic so we're going to do a little one now though yeah okay yeah because i was even here for that chat and i remember the envelope coming out I kind of thought about it for the next, like, night or so. Do I get to touch yeah, it? and I was kind of trying to put out the vibes of what's in the envelope, see if you guys can pick up on it. You can't touch it, no. And I was even trying to do some That's of the things she, she said. Or he mentioned, like, not try to actually, as soon as you name a certain thing, then you kind of gravitate to that and you defeat the purpose almost. Yeah, or, so you don't want to so, do that. No, I was thinking, you know, like like what he said, put, your, put yourself in hints? the mind of the person either taking the picture or whatever. No hints, but don't I have to put a random number on it, I think? And then you guys use that number, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. What number are you going to put? Is it going to be random? Yeah, you need a piece of paper, though, to draw <laughs> the number on it. I'm drawing the number? Just draw the number on the envelope. But the number doesn't even really matter, does it? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. The number's the whole trick, the whole key to it. Did you flap all your papers around away from the mic? Did you rip the paper away from the mic? <laughs> right in front of it's good. This is how we do it in Grand America. We ad lib. It's all raw. And Darren deals with it in post. 
Okay, what's the number? So I'm going to draw the number that you put on it. Yeah, I'm going to sh- I'm going to show you the number now. It's got the intention behind it. It's that long. <laughs> well, yeah. I was thinking it was going to be like sixteen. Actually, yeah, I, I was guessing fourteen. I was thinking two digits. Okay, let me get some uh, some background remote viewing music. Yeah, nice and relaxing. This is the remote viewing showdown between me and Joey. <laughs> okay, wait. Okay. Sorry. Crickets would be better. Just silence. Good one, Graham. <laughs> okay, so... Oh, you're just using this to fucking play all your new jingles. Seriously, okay, we know Leave you've got around. some jingles. Leave we know around. you've got Leave some jingles. Leave me alone while I'm remote viewing. <sighs> this is going to be an insult to Paul in this episode. Is this a remix? I don't remember it being so beady. <laughs> So I think after you've cleared your mind, you're supposed to write the number down quite a few times, I think. And then you, at the at the end, you kind of like, you know, you come up with that. Like, remember how we described that uh, that computer screen, like double clicking the mouse kind of thing? That original song? No. Do you want me to guide you through it at all? Like, no? I got something. All right. So for those of us that don't know, how are you doing, Joey, over there? Yeah, just sort of. Yeah, just sort of thinking, and uh, I think I kind of got something. But okay, because I think you're supposed to use all your senses, right? Your sight, mm-hmm. your hearing, your you know, yeah, your like, smell, and all that kind of just go through. And we, I think we determined last time that it was a, um, a picture, of sort. Uh, right. Like it has to. Like that's kind of what it. 
Because it's in an envelope. Yeah, so for so those of us, the for those of the people that haven't made it through the episode that we're doing the intro <laughs> for right now, <laughs> I have a sealed envelope here with something in it. And Paul Elder asked if it was a picture, and I said, well, yeah, it's a picture mm-hmm. of something. So Yes. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to figure out is what the picture is. You want to go first, yeah. Joey? Um, yeah, sure. I don't, I don't really have a full picture in mind, but I don't, I kind of see maybe cliffs and what in going into water, maybe like brown and blue. Um, but then I, I didn't really get much past that. I wasn't trying to generalize it and put a specific thing to it, but try and piece it together one at a time, but it wasn't coming okay. very easily. Okay. Darren? Okay. I got two things. First off, I had a choice of four different colors. I chose red. I don't know if that means anything. Were they primary? No. It was red, purple, green, and orange. Okay. But uh, when I was drawing the number and doodling, hard for me to doodle. I really have to force myself. You doodle all the time. <laughs> I came up with what looked like a bumper with the numbers on it. I'm going to say that uh, maybe it's something to do with a license plate or registration or there's a license plate in the picture. I don't have a drum roll. Son of a bitch. (laughs) Is that a chick from a Sears magazine? (laughs) It looks like it. It's a purple dress. How come it's how come her face is all wore out? What? Very funny. Purple dress. Well, no one said anything about purple. I, 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 I know pick. you had a choice. You had a twenty-five percent chance to pick purple in the color, and you didn't even get that. So I, I had a picture of a purple dress. Why do you have this? What do you mean? Hmm. <laughs> Why are you giving this? it back? <laughs> Let me see. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really thought I had something. Look. Yeah. See the bumper? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not a very good remote viewer. I played it on the music. Yeah, no kidding. So we didn't do it. We'll we'll have to do it uh, properly next time, but that was just a fun little experiment. Well, I don't know. We didn't get it on mushrooms either, so maybe we're just (laughs) not very. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, we did try that. We tried it on mushrooms and failed just as miserably. Mm -hmm. Maybe worse. Yeah. Because we kept guessing. Yeah. We didn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. We tried it across the world. Remember New Zealand, too? Yeah. Jared was trying to, I'm holding something in my hand. The gong show. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. Profound UFO quote of the week. Prepared? I'm prepared. I have Graham's profound UFO quote of the week. Three objects appeared beneath the clouds, their color a rather bright red. As they approached the ship, they appeared to soar, passing above the broken clouds. After rising above the clouds, they appeared to be moving directly away from the earth. The largest had an apparent area of about six suns. It was egg-shaped, the larger end forward. The second was about twice the size of the sun, and the third about the size of the sun. Their near approach to the surface appeared to be most remarkable. That they did come below the clouds and soar instead of continuing 
Their southeasterly course is also curious. The lights were in sight for over two minutes and were carefully observed by three people whose accounts agree as to the details. And that was a sighting by the USS Supply off the eastern coast of Korea, February 28, 1904. As reported by then Lieutenant Frank H. Schofield, later to become Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific Fleet. Boom. What was here? 1904. I can see you trying to think of some... That was pre-UFO. Well, what do you mean it was pre-UFO? Well, like pre-UFO. Have you ever watched Ancient Aliens? It's been happening for thousands of years. Yeah, but it was pre-UFO. You know what I mean. Yeah, UFO... uh, Meme books, yeah, anything, yeah, pre pre Roswell, basically. There's no nobody was talking about UFOs. Yeah, well, they they were in some circles. I'm probably less hoaxes. Yeah, after the airships, though, you could call that a UFO. So it's not quite, you know. But before the Wright brothers, no, no. When were the Wright brothers? Uh, I'm gonna guess 1900 or 190. Wasn't it like right around the century? Is a race to Google right now. No, I'm just going to leave it to the producer. <laughs> right, brother's first flight would be the one. 1903. Mm. Son of a bitch. Maybe it was. Are you going to say maybe it was the Wright brothers then, and their and their red shape, red colored, egg shaped craft? No, I'm going to go with it. I'm going with the old dude. That's over by Shag Harbor. Is it? No, know. it's in Korea. The eastern coast of Korea, not Canada. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, never mind. So, hey, I got a couple of good synchronicities uh, and good. some feedback if you want to hear That's them. That's good. Crab, crab fishing. Crab fishing country. What are you going to do first? Uh, uh, feedback and synchronicity. Okay. Do you have a jingle? I love this one. Synchronicity. It's time for another. I won't play the whole thing. No, you can't. It goes on long. Once in a while, I'll play it out, but not today. All right. So this is from Justin. And he says, uh, Hi, guys. Justin or Justin? Justin. Not one of our Justins in Great America, but Justin. Love that Robert Sullivan show. He says, Seriously interesting guy. Oh, I'm reading, I want to read the other one from him, the one to you. So he says, maybe it was more of a premonition than a synchronicity. I made that Littlest Hobo track around 2012 in the middle of making all these no agenda based tracks. To this day, I have no idea why I did a cover of the Littlest Hobo. And then you guys come along with the douchebag clip from No Agenda followed by the Littlest Hobo in Grimerica late 2014. Weird as hell. He says, uh, great show, by the way. And definitely get that Sully back on uh, for Simonism 2. What was that? <laughs> uh, he said the interview Simon, was... Simonism? Yeah, the interview was a total mindfuck. He said he had no zero idea that Back to Future was full of it. Anyways, he gave us a couple movies to, uh, to send off to Sully to see what he thinks of them. Ferris Bueller's Day Off in the Adjustment Bureau. That's, that's cool. Ferris Bueller's was a classic. And of course, he echoed my Prometheus. Yes, he did. Anyways, he says, great show. Loving that you guys are doing the value for value. If it works for NA, which is no agenda, the karma should also flow to you in the morning. GX2. 
I like it. Yeah. GX2? We'll yeah, we'll have to play one of his songs in the intro, in the, in the bumper music there. Yeah, no, yeah, we'll throw it in there somewhere for sure. And uh, I don't know if I can get sued for this, but just for you, GX2. What are you doing? It didn't work. Anyway, what were you trying to do? I was trying to play the in the morning. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't think you'll get sued by... Oh, probably the, not. No agenda, guys. So would you call that a synchronicity, Darren, or is it more of a premonition? Water before the stick? No. Well, that... No. So it was already decided that I was going to talk about the littlest hobo. That's what we're saying then. Then there was already predetermined that we were going to talk about the littlest hobo. I was going to play the littlest hobo on you. It was predecided when he made the song in 2012. Yeah. Huh. I'll yeah. give it a. Hmm. It was pretty interesting. I mean, again, this is one of those ones that's more personal for him, probably. I'll so, give him a 5.42. 5.42, okay. 4.42. 5.42. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Okay, ready for this one? Another one? Yeah. This back one. Back are you ready? Like, I need your total fucking 100% divided attention for this one. It's crazy. Okay. Hey, Graham and Darren. Thank, love the show. Thanks so much for making it. Based on the great episode with Robert Sullivan, getting a lot of good feedback about Sully's episode. I was moved to share a synchronicity story with you, and it comes from the realm of esoteric cinema. I'm a TV and film writer-director, and the biggest synchronicity of my life occurred while making a short film called Just Be Yourself. Here's the trailer, if you want to watch it. I did watch it. It looks fucking really cool, actually. It looks hilarious. In the film, one of the characters leads a secret society. Members of the secret society are marked with two identifying symbols, a barcode and an infinity symbol. When new members are initiated into the secret society, they get this double set of tattoos, a barcode, and an infinity symbol. When we cast the film, actors with no lines did not get a script and had no idea what the story was about. They were only informed about mechanics like what days they shoot, call times, what the pay was, etc. In fact, the role of this initiate into the secret society was cast by going through headshots because there was no speaking lines, just acting. The day we were to shoot the scene where the leader initiates a young man into its ranks, the actor we cast as the initiate showed up and he already had two real tattoos on his body, a barcode and an infinity symbol. None of us had met this guy in person before. He had not seen the script and did not know what the story the film tells. When we saw the tattoos, everyone lost their shit. I was writer slash director and there was also a crew of producer, cinematographer, Scripts up, lighting, set design, etc. The actor had no idea why we were freaking out. We were trying to figure out how we duped this like we were on punked. This is a prank, right? Because there's no way in hell he could possibly have had these two tattoos by coincidence. We explained it to him, but it was clear that as we freaked out, we were scaring him. Then he thought we were the ones fucking with him. Everyone was baffled. This dragged on for like 30 minutes. It stopped the shooting and screwed up our whole schedule. The actor swore he'd had these tattoos for years, long before the script was written. We cast his part a few days before the shoot. If he had somehow obtained a script and gotten tattoos to match that character, that tattoos would have been red and scarred. They were not small tattoos. None of us found an explanation. It still makes me laugh out loud sometimes when I think of it. Whenever I see the producer from that project, it comes up. It was funny that it happened in the context of this film, which is full of esoteric themes and symbolism. 
This film also starred Candice McClure. You may know her from Battlestar Galactica, Allison McCaddy, and Sebastian Siegel. It played at the film festivals in Hawaii and L.A., etc. Thought I'd share because I dug the app with Robert Sullivan. Thanks, guys. Best, Stuart. Awesome. Awesome email, eh? I love it. Mm. This is going to be one where Baron's going to be like, somebody saw his tattoos and that's who wrote the script. And let's, let's just assume for this exercise that there's no like tomfoolery going on here. So what if I was not linear and they had already seen the guy with the tattoos? That's why they wrote it into the script. Yeah. Like, like they, like they got it from the collective consciousness, like the, like the, uh, Akashic records kind of thing. Yep. Well, that's, but I'll give it a, uh, 8.7, That's it, eh? Yeah. That's got potentially be our biggest one. I think. Uh, the spam one was bigger because there was a few different time. There was a few different storylines going on and Pooh was like a crazy movie. No, you don't yeah, agree? Uh, well, I guess if that's part of your, part of your judging spam. criteria. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's more complex. Yeah. Exactly. This one was, but this one was pretty powerful in its simplicity. Like everybody's freaking out because this guy's got the same two tattoos. That were the they movies. intended it. They intended them. That still makes it even more crazy. That doesn't take anything away from it. That adds that to added it. added to it. All right, 8.7. Yeah. yeah, oh, look, he's got the... Oh, wow. I know the inf- they're pretty popular tattoos. Really. No, they're not. I, I know two buddies who have barcodes. I don't know about infinity symbols. Have they been in jail? No. One guy's is Zoodles. You could scan them and it's Zoodles. What does that mean? He copied the barcode off a can of fucking Zoodles. I don't know what Zoodles are. It's like, like Alphagetti. Like Alphagetti. Zoo, zoo noodles? Oh, okay. Except with creatures from the zoo. <sighs> so, you know, now that I'm looking at all these pictures, I'm almost thinking of bringing it down, so. I was just seeing if, looking to see if there's this two on the same body in the story. Yeah, no, that's a pretty good one. It got an eight. Point six, eight point seven. Yeah, that's still a good rating. No, it's yeah, still that's good a rating. high rating. That's the yeah. second highest rating ever, and that's in two episodes, back to back. So who knows? Maybe we'll get to a ten here. Seems like the level of synchronicities is up lately. Yeah, maybe that's what. Maybe we have a part in that. Our intentions out there to bring in these big synchronicities. The veil is thinning. Sorry, I just can't get enough of the new soundboard. <laughs> yeah, hey, no, maybe. Hey, we got a we got some feedback from Archon Lobo I wanted to ask you about. He says, no offense, but you tend to recycle guests from other shows and ask the same damn questions. Example, yesterday's episode. You know what that one was from? I'm assuming because Sullivan's on, been on THC already. Yeah, it could be Sullivan, yeah. I don't know how recent that feedback is, but you sent it to me a little while ago. That was, well, that episode just came out Sunday. So anyways, thanks for the feedback. And yeah. we definitely try not to do that, but sometimes the people you want to talk to have been on a lot of other shows, and of course we try and keep it original, but inevitably, quite, you know, the same questions do get asked, so. I would have to agree. Yeah. Usually we get, oh well, we do our best. Yeah. Hannibal says, without a doubt, easily the best pseudoscientific podcast out there. Pseudo? 
Yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if that's a compliment. It is, I guess, but of course it is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're fucking deep into the pseudoscience, buddy. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for everybody for the feedback. If we don't get back to you, it just slips through the cracks. We try and get back to everybody, uh, replying to emails and stuff like that. But it gets a bit, it gets a bit hairy here trying to organize everything. So keep keep writing us and uh, thanks for the feedback. Yep. And did we mention uh, Anthony won the money bomb? I think we did. Of course, he was kind enough to gift back 50% of his winning. So that's twice in a row that, uh, that that's happened. So that's, uh, that's kind of neat. Of course, big thanks to Anthony for that. Um, yeah, that could possibly make, uh, make another money bomb possible for the end of, uh, December 30, uh, December, 2014. Yeah. We're not going to hustle you down for your cash around Christmas. So yeah, that's true. But it is value for value, and your support helps pay the expenses. Yep, and we did get uh, three subscribers in November, so um, let's keep that going. I'll, yeah, I'll tell you guys everybody. what. If you guys get up to 50 subscribers, I'll do the sequel to Psilocybus. Are you in, Joey? Yeah. Is course. it going to be the DMT Cybus? DMT uh, no, America? I'm, I'm outsourcing that. You're outsourcing the DMT? Yep. Hmm. I got shit on the go. Why? I got someone who's going to do it. Do you want to try it on, on the podcast? I don't even know if I'm going to try it anytime soon <laughs> off the podcast. <laughs> that one could be a still a long ways down the road. I mean, I definitely, it's on my bucket list, but it's, I can't say for sure when it is. Yeah. I get but, you. Uh, I could commit to that. I think we're at I like could, 18 or 20 right now. So quite a big ways. But if you guys, everyone, uh, I, I get, tweets and stuff quite a bit about asking for the sequels all right hmm. but i don't want to rush it i didn't want i thought because i was going to do it the annual but no pretty sacred man yeah eat mushrooms on the podcast and yeah there's a i mean mind you that episode ended up getting hit a lot anyway yeah but now we probably want to change things up a little a bit a lot right? more people listening and it's like that time it took a long time for it to get to where it was it kind of <laughs> The downloads of psilocybis kind of grew with the podcast, so it wasn't so bad. This time, it's just going to be like within a fucking week. A lack of people are going to heard that. Yeah. Pretty intimate. That's a lot of contact highs across the globe. Yeah, but it's pretty intimate at the same time. Yeah. Hmm. Like, remember last time I held on to that shit for three months before we finally released it, I think. Yeah. But, so I think that's, when we get to 50, we'll do it again. I'm down. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> we that have could be never. So yeah, we have Don't we have lots it. of uh, we have lots of guests coming up. Um, check the backstage uh, out. I'm going to uh, update that in the next couple of days. We have Randall Carlson coming back on Saturday, December twentieth, along with Ben Davidson from the Observer. Um, I'll I'll link to that uh, on the backstage. Check that stuff out. A lot of uh, a lot of. Uh, Alternative science uh, on climate change and that type of stuff coming up. Word up. Yeah, and so, and the other thing I wanted to say is uh, send in your psychedelic experiences. Uh, we were just talking about all that, doing another psilocybus episode, but uh, we will, uh, we've got a new segment that, uh, you know, people can talk about their enlightening experiences or bad trips, if that's the case. Yeah, what do we have, a good one and a bad one so far? Yeah. And we talked about it back uh, back in the day too. Like some friends of ours have shared their experiences, but 
like to do more of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. We could do that every once in a while. Oh yeah. I forgot we had a, uh, we had a, uh, an ask Joey to, or ask a guy American, but, um, we did have Gitmo Yoho. He's ready to go. So let's jump into that now. And then, uh, We'll do the Oscar American in the outro, maybe, or next. We'll do it next week. We'll save it for next week. Hey, and in in Grimerica, a little special guest appearance. We have one of our biggest supporters of the show and a, a listener and a fellow podcast uh, enthusiast. Say, enthusiast of like no agenda and this type of thing. And it's Gitmo Yoho. Yoho, thanks for coming on, buddy. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. And, of course, thanks for all the support. Uh, you made our very first jingle, too, uh, the UFO jingle. Yeah, yeah. They come to me sometimes. That's I love it. Grounds bread and butter, that UFO quote. Oh, come on, buddy. I'm more than that. I'm more than just a UFO, <laughs> UFO quote to you, Derek. <laughs> That's funny. That's exactly what I was thinking. If it wasn't for that UFO quote, I'd ship you out. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> Yeah, so thanks for coming on the show. Of course, the other thing, we we did want to talk to you a bit about your buddy's uh, Kickstarter. I'm definitely, uh, I'm looking forward to that because I got a couple little kids that I'm, I'm fucking bad for going to the store and getting those little model rockets all the time. Fucking firing them off and then they blow away. The pair, they, they always get end up getting caught in the wind and blowing far away. Yeah, or getting in the trees or whatever. I, I've actually not seen this thing run yet or, or seen them operate it, but he uh he says it goes a lot farther, a lot higher than than what uh you know the ones you get at the store. And he's an engineer, so he's kind of uh, oh. uh he's put he's put some time into it. I wonder if you're still allowed to like uh I forget what was that old movie where those kids made that rocket? Remember they were in like that coal mine in town but they made the rocket. Yeah, that was actually in it was they in ended West up Virginia. working at NASA or something like that. October skies. Yeah, that's what it was. You I can wonder, um, can you still it, do that kind of shit? Like, can I make a because we make steel work? Can I just fill up a fucking tube of steel through full of some gunpowder and? Yes and no. Um, I'm actually a, a, a member of NAR, the National Association of Rocketry. Um, you have to get FAA clearance before going. I think it's three thousand feet or something like that. But you can make a rocket at home that'll go. 100,000 feet if you, you know, put forth the effort. Well, I, I can't orbit. That. That's always been my goal. I, I want to put something in the fucking orbit. You, you can do it, but it's that, you know, it takes thousands and thousands of dollars and time and effort. Just like anything, you know, it takes the necessary time and sustained effort. One day. So let's back up a sec. So your, your, uh, your, kick, your buddy's Kickstarter is about making these like homemade rockets then yeah it's a um it uh it takes a two liter bottle and he has engineered or he intends to engineer he has a prototype of course um that uh uses air and water and will shoot a uh a two liter bottle up uh i think it's several hundred feet sweet okay yeah and he started the the Kickstarter, and I, I think he was new to Kickstarters too. And I've never done one, um, but it's uh, I think he he was pretty modest. He wanted like five grand, and I don't I think he may be at like twenty five hundred at this point. But you know, I was 
I was asking about it. I said, what if you asked for like a million dollars? Would you have hit like, you know, 250,000 at this point? Is that how Kickstarters work? Because it seems a, somewhat of a racket, but of course I'm paranoid. So it's, uh, it's hard to tell. Kickstarter could be a racket. Is that possible? I, I don't know. Well, it I don't think be. you get, the problem is if you don't reach your goal, like I donated to that. I think if you don't reach your goal, it all gets refunded. Yeah, right? so exactly. like, I didn't get, I, did, I tried to donate to that uh, UFO database thing and I bought a t-shirt, I put in like 50 bucks and I, I got an email, sorry, I didn't reach your goal, so you haven't been charged for this. Yeah, so I, I guess, this, so that would mean that Kickstarter doesn't get paid unless you succeed. Right. Yeah, I don't know. We're not allowed to use Kickstarter because we're not American. I tried. Oh, remember, really? We were going to set one up a while back for to get the T-shirt to get a store going, but it fell to the wayside. When we, that's when, well, we were going to get the store going. Instead, we decided to go just with value for value, less books to worry about. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's this? Do you know what the name of this Kickstarter is? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's we called soda. It last week. No, I, did I? Yeah, it's uh, soda jet. Soda jet, right, right, right. Okay. Soda jet. If yeah. you put soda jet Kickstarter, should pop up, and then there's cool. a video. Cool, that's a good idea. Of course, there's his, his daughter's putting on the. Uh, she's strapping on, the Barbie to the uh, to the rocket. I think that's that's Ilsa Barbie, by the way. Yeah, see, that's perfect because the rockets that we shoot off, I got to keep my kids back, just in case it like falls over, or the fucking fuse explodes. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, like, well, I don't have the whole proper setup. Like, I I'm not gonna splurge. When have the, you been shooting rockets off? I shoot rockets all the time. That's my rocket kits in the closet right behind you. Oh yeah. It's just like that little plastic stand yeah, with, with that the little metal wire. But I don't have the launcher and everything. I usually just stick those prongs around the fuse, and then I just go up there with a nine volt battery and fucking <laughs> and just fucking poke the ends and away it goes. It but my safe. problem is it's so fucking windy in Alberta, and the things go. I I, I like to get the ones that go up six hundred or thousand feet, of course, and then they go up, shoot pops out, and then they fucking blow about three miles that way. <laughs> One time we even chased it all the way across the lake and it was still like fucking 150 feet in the air when it blew over the houses. They would have cleared the Trans-Canada for sure. Wow. And then another one, I think I ended up finding it out in the front yard. When all the snow melted, I found it out in the front yard in my neighbor's driveway. Huh. All flattened. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, they're fun. Well, you should try it, yeah. So that's the thing about that, is it's if you can just fucking keep doing it over and over again, those motors get expensive, everything right, gets yeah, expensive. Yeah. 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 Hmm. All right, so we have some inside uh, scoop on the soda jet rocketry. Eh? So you're a, you're a fan, you'll donate to the, to the cause? I will, I plan to donate to the cause. Sweet. After yeah, I think he only has like... Shopping. I think he has maybe 25 days left on it, so yeah. it's... Hopefully he makes it. Yeah, we'll pump it. I want to see it succeed so that yeah. I can get one. So yeah, that's the whole point. Has of it. to make that's it. it exactly. I wanted to donate to that that Remy. Do you remember that Remy that came out that that lucid dreaming mask? Fuck, I don't think I ever bought it. Oh yeah, the goggles you wear yeah, that yeah. flash you yeah, when you're dreaming. Yeah, because yeah, that's, that what, I need. that's, that's what, what I need. That's just what you need. That's what I what? need to lucid dream properly. What does it do? 
Well, it's a it's like a sleeping mask, and it's got some lights in there, infrared lights or some kind of lighting. So when it detects when you're in REM, and then it like wakes you up. Oh, like, okay. Or not really wakes you up because I'm a pretty light sleeper, anyways. But I guess it would it would sort of subliminate. How does it work? Yeah, with sublimity, the light would show up in your eyes. I guess it'll keep you out. Yeah, apparently you should be able to see the lights flashing in your vision in your dream. Right. And that's how you would know you were dreaming, I guess. Or you can just look at your hands, like Buddy tells us in next week's episode. There it is. Remy, how much is it? It was a hundred bucks before, I think. Yeah, look at that thing. Are you are you a lucid dreamer? Am I? No, I have. Um, I used to try um sometimes i i I usually forget the funny thing is this is interesting is i think it was your twitter you mentioned lucid dreaming i had a lucid dream that night we were just talking about that tonight on the episode yeah it's it's like it's it's the the power of suggestion or whatever i won't tell you what i dreamed about of course it's this is a family this this is a family podcast flying floating or fucking (laughs) yeah like lawnmower man Hey, you didn't tell us what your lucid dream was that it was boring. You just said you couldn't control it. Did you tell us? I think you said, no, we'll save it for the lucid dreaming intro or something like that. Oh. But it was lame. I I, I was in a situation I needed to... What was the situation? I can't, I can't remember. It was like with people and stuff. It was really with lame. people yeah. and stuff. Yeah, wow. don't, don't even... <laughs> all I know is I became lucid and I tried to control stuff and it, and it didn't work very well at all. I have... I've been able to control it sometimes. But it's never like you can you can't do anything like super crazy. If you try to do anything that you really wouldn't do, you know, like you you wouldn't do personally, like in reality, then that's when it like falls apart. Oh, you think so? That's interesting. That's how it is with me anyway. Huh. I wonder if you can hone that, though. Probably. The thing about dreaming is it it all happens in like a half a second. No, it doesn't. Not all the time. No, but most of the time. Just easy. So you could practice all night. Like you're eight hours of sleep. You could be practicing for fucking two years. I'll tell you when I... Most of the lucid dreams that I've had, I used to train jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, And... It's one of those sporting kind of things where you you have to have your mind, any kind of sport, your mind has to be into it like completely. That's when I would dream and I would actually control myself fighting somebody. And I could like, you know, to me, that's a lucid dream. Yeah, yeah. You know, where where I, you know, it's something that I know I can do. I'm doing it. And it is, uh, you know, and then I don't wake up. But if I tried to like say, pick the guy up and throw him against the wall or something, then that's, that's when everything would fall apart. Well, that's interesting. Hmm. I like it. Yeah. So before we let you go, I did want to, uh, I noticed on your Twitter the other day that you were banned, uh, by Mr. Dvorak. I was wondering what you got into <laughs> that, that, uh, bit of hot water. Man, I don't know. It's, it's, it's crazy. Cause, um, I was, fo- I was following him. And I, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't tweet that much. Then all of a sudden, like, I didn't see any tweets. So I go and look, and I'm like, wait, it doesn't say I'm following him. So I hit follow, and it says, you've been banned. And I'm like, what What the hell? That, you, it, 
in no agenda he's he talks about banning people all the time if they bother him or whatever I, I didn't think i bothered him so i'd send an email and like can you please unban me please pretty please so he did so then i'm i'm unbanded right so i'm following him again so i send another tweet and i said um i'm glad to see that <laughs> i'm glad to see that i'm in your good graces again and then he banned me again <laughs> oh <laughs> You know what? Unfortunately, Darren knows now, the feeling. Darren's been banned by a podcast that he really liked as well. <laughs> Maybe you should email him back and say, pretty please unban me and see if he'll do it now. It's been quite a while. It's been like a year. We'll see. I'm well, you know, Curry it. still follows me. and he he. Here's the interesting thing about No Agenda is I knew Adam Curry because of my age. I'm 37. I think, Darren, you're 37, right? 33. Oh, you're 33. Okay. Magic number. Yeah. Um. So I knew Adam Curry, but I also knew Dvorak. So I started listening. I'm like, I know Dvorak. He's, you know, I'm familiar with him. So I started listening to the the podcast. And Dvorak, every time I would donate or whatever or say something, he would always, he's such a curmudgeon that he didn't like anything that I I would write. But Curry loved it. So Curry, like, I think Curry's a big fan of, of mine and vice versa now. But it's interesting because I think, Curry likes my my uh, my sense of humor, and Dvorak doesn't. But Dvorak's the reason why I started listening in the first place. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So what do you? So what? Now do you, we're probably gonna get banned. No, <laughs> no. no. If either of them listens to the show, it's Curry. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they need any more press, but I mean, it it is a it's a show that I definitely I have to listen to now because of you know. It, it it's a bit long and drawn out sometimes, but it really every once in a while there's a good gem in there that you're just not going to get anywhere else, you know. Almost every episode. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime they mention a pipeline, it's it's going to be a good episode. Yeah. Or 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 global warming. Right. Yeah, those are my favorites. We sent Dvorak a uh, global warming is bullshit T-shirt. I never mentioned it though. <laughs> no, they never did, did they? No. no. I mean the garbage. <laughs> Didn't you put bull crap on it? Yeah, I went but bull global warming bull is bull crap on the back and then it had the logo on the front. Yeah. But I sent it to Dvorak. He's a curmudgeon. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and now we're banned. <laughs> oh yeah, don't you have a, a present from uh Yoho? Oh yeah, we can't forget about that. Oh it? right, that's it. Do you do you have a synchronicity? Oh, uh, we we just read a couple of them. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can you can either save it or you can play it now. Yeah, just keep in mind that when I have it, when a jingle comes to me, it just comes, you know, and I have to let I have to let it flow. It's like my artistic uh, expression. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I'm a rambling grand with synchronicities all over the web. And Darren is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's perfect. That's classic. That's good. I just got my new soundboard set up too on my iPad, so I can put that right in there. That's great. Yeah, next time you have a synchronicity, or you know, you can, you don't have to humor me if it sucks. You can. No, it's no, no. I like it. That's a good one for sure. I like it because it's personalized. 
Did you hear? Uh, did you did you hear the one I got made by the acapella guy? No, I heard the whisper one. Um, I don't know if I heard the other one or not. Do I have it handy here? Cost me five bucks on Fiverr. It took. It ended up taking like I got this. I asked for this at the end of October. It was supposed to be a week, and I ended up waiting like a month for it. Where is it here? Synchronicity. It's time for another installment of the Canadian Third Party Synchronicity Rating Authority. (laughs) Yeah, I did hear that one. I don't. That's a, Do you have a short version of that too? No. He just cuts it off. All I just cut it. It's off. a bit. Okay. It's a bit long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's Excellent. great, though. Yeah. No, thanks, buddy. That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. So, is there anything else that, like, do you any any guests or topics that you would want us to have on, or what do you? What are some of the things you like about the show? <sighs> well, yeah, my favorite one, of course, is everyone's favorite which was the psychedelic mushroom guy. Um, and I've gotten a lot of uh, reaction to, I can't remember the name of the book, but it was about the, uh, the, the hippie movement was actually a, a, a counterintelligence program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was great. That, that was great. Laurel Canyon. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, but I've liked them all. There's only been one episode, and I won't bring up which, which I think you know which one it was. Where I'm just listening to it and I'm like, what? You know, like, I, I don't think I could do the show because I would be, you guys are really diplomatic about some of the things <laughs> that people say, but I would almost have to, like, call people out a lot of times, like, wait a second, like, go back. What, yeah, yeah. You know, what, what, what did you just say? Can we talk about that for the next 45 minutes? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, sometimes we plan on doing that and sometimes it's hard to do that. So, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and then you don't want to, you know. But you don't want people scared to come on your show. Yeah, exactly. And it, and really, your your show isn't isn't really designed to um, be completely skeptical either. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and I I can't remember who it was who said it. Um, but one of you said, you know, what? Who who are we to get in the way? You know, it, it was the um, the woman who saw the the shaman turn into a cat or whatever, yeah, you know, Jaguar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, it, who are, who are we to say that that didn't happen? You know, if, if, she, if it did help her and, and we weren't there, you know, what, the, what the hell? Exactly. Each their own. Yeah, man, we know there's a bunch of strange experiences happening to people all over the place. So who's to, who's to dealt those experiences, right? I don't know. I'm just cause you can't prove it scientifically. Yeah, I'm I'm of the 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 Fox Mulder variety. I want to believe. I I'm skeptical about everything, but you know. Yeah, I as well. I'm skeptical. <laughs> hey, you're not as skeptical as you think. You're pretty open-minded. You're not as open. No, you are as open-minded. As you think. <laughs> I think you're more open-minded than you think. Yeah, maybe. Well, I suppose that about wraps it up. Back. We should mention. Paul Elder, uh, remote viewing. 
Yeah. This is a fun one. Yeah, this was a great episode. <clears throat> Turns out that he's an on-the-fly, better remote viewer than me or Joey are. Yeah. With a couple minutes to stew on it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, big thanks to Gitmo or to Yoho for coming on the show. Um, big thanks to, or enjoy the interview with Paul Elder. We still got the outro, so. Yeah. We can take care of some more, yeah. more housekeeping there. All right. Thanks a lot, Yoho. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. Okay, guys, in America tonight, we're going to be uh, talking about all sorts of fun stuff uh, with Mr. Paul Elder. Uh, but first, how's it going tonight, buddy? Good, good. I hey. thought you had a little G word uh, there for me. I'm going to save that for the intro. <laughs> all right, so tonight, yeah, I'm excited. We've uh, we've got Paul Elder here, and Paul's had an interesting uh, lifetime. He's had a couple, uh, three, I think, near-death experiences. He's wrote a, a true story of those accounts uh, called Eyes of an Angel. It's kind of about soul travel, spirit guides, soulmates, and the reality of love. And Paul had a bit of a, a normal you know, radio and TV news reporter career. And then he's also been a trainer at the Monroe Institute. And we've talked a lot about that in, in Grime America so far. And Paul runs his own kind of Monroe Institute in Canada. We're going to talk to him about that. It's on Vancouver Island. So uh, we got lots to discuss, Paul. Um, I've taken a couple of your your little courses there, uh, remote viewing courses in Calgary. So I'm looking forward to uh, to getting into that a little bit too. So welcome to Grime America, Paul. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to, uh, to have you on here. Well, the guys, uh, our listeners have pretty familiar with the Monroe Institute. We've had guys like Joseph Gallenberger on, and, and I think, uh, I don't know if we've had anybody else on. I'm not sure if you know Joseph Gallenberger, but we've, uh, yeah. yeah, we've talked a lot about, uh, about, you know, the, the Monroe stuff and, and the, all kinds of stuff that sort of overlaps it. Um, so it's going to be uh, cool to chat with you a bit. Do you want to give us a bit of a, maybe, maybe a little bit of a summary about your experience and sort of how you got into all this stuff? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, um, I, I guess probably the best thing I can do is to sort of give you a background. Um, I grew up in, uh, on a small farm in Saskatchewan in a, um, a, a large um, Catholic family. That's kind of redundant, isn't it? <laughs> um, large and Catholic. And uh, had, uh, I mean, we didn't have a lot when we, were, when we were growing up. We were very, very poor and uh, we didn't have running water. We didn't have television. We didn't even have a telephone. Uh-huh. And uh, so you grew up uh, pretty much when you grew up with, you know, 10 other kids, you grew up pretty much as a realist. If you can't see it or touch it or taste it or, you know, then don't believe it. And uh, so it was sort of, um, you know, over the years, some amazing things have happened to me 
um, you know, not the least of which is uh, several near-death experiences. And uh, I, for instance, I drowned when I was 12 years old and mm-hmm. um, had this phenomenal experience. But when you're 12 and something weird happens, you say, wow, that was weird in your all <laughs> life, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I didn't realize until many, many years later how that had affected me, how it you know, pretty much changed the way I looked at consciousness or life itself. Right. And uh, so over the years, um, you know, grew up and uh, was in a car accident uh, when I was 17 and lost a kidney and got smashed up really bad and had another bit of an experience. And then um, when I was 41, um, got into or uh, was playing hockey and um, had a heart attack in the middle of a hockey game and died in the ambulance and was brought back in emergency. And um, that began... It sort of propelled me into um, a different kind of life. Um, seems to sort of have opened the doorway, but I think the doorway was, had been open many, many years before that. I right. didn't recognize it. I just thought, well, that's me or that's my quirkiness or whatever. <clears throat> so, But what it did do is in the aftermath, I began to have um, spontaneous out-of-body experiences, uh, hundreds of them in which I would find myself, you know, floating above my body and, uh, you know, sort of typical descriptions kind of thing, um, you know, floating into other dimensions or into other cities or other places or just simply being able to think about a place and being there immediately. Wow. <clears throat> and uh, so it sort of, you know, opened me up to a whole bunch of new things. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of the um, sort of interesting things over over the years, I mean, as you mentioned, I you know, got involved in, um, in, in broadcasting. I was a rock and roll disc jockey in Saskatoon in the early years and then got into news. I'm talking about the early 70s. And then got into television news and I uh, worked for CTV in Calgary a long, long time ago, um, back in, in the late 70s. And um, then after that, got into business and politics in Saskatchewan and became a... Um, uh, mayor of a city in, in Saskatchewan for a whole bunch of years. And all of these things, you know, these happenings inside my life um, changed my perspective. And I think we do need, it, I guess it made me more spiritual, if you will, yeah. um, whatever that whatever that means. And I, I think the world needs more spiritual politicians, frankly. Um, <laughs> the reality is I wish everybody would have a near-death experience because we'd have a completely different world to live in. But it changed, um, I think, how or my perception of consciousness itself and my perception on life. And um, so I found out about this place called the Monroe Institute in Virginia. And, uh, and, and actually back in, oh, my God, it must have been around 1981 or something. I watched a television interview with a guy named Robert Monroe. Oh, yeah. he'd, written, he'd written this book called Journeys Out of the Body. <laughs> and I borrowed it from the library, and I thought, well, this is really cool. And I read the thing from cover to cover, and it was interesting. And you know, and, but I thought this guy's a nut job, though. And I took it back to the you know to the library and forgot all about it. And you know, some ten or eleven years later, suddenly I found myself floating in the ceiling of my bedroom, and the first thing I thought about was, holy crap, he wasn't crazy. <laughs> and, it, and it was just so stunningly powerful, and that will change everything. If you find yourself outside of your own brain, outside of your own body, completely whole and healthy and thinking, that changes everything. And that's what happened. And it 
you know, frankly, have launched me into a place, you know, that would I might have or could have believed into something um, just absolutely knowing. And so when this happened, about 10 years after I read Monroe's book, um, I, I was just consumed with it. Right. I went back to the library, I found out that he'd written another book called Far Journeys, and I consumed that one. <clears throat> and I found out that he had um, established a place in, uh, in Virginia, um, the Monroe Institute, a nonprofit organization dedicated to research into consciousness and so on and so forth in the out-of-body states. And so I began to go there, and it felt like coming home. And I found out that the general public, people could go there for a week at a time, a six-day program, and, and, and you know, be with like-minded souls from all over the planet engaged in this really, really cool and interesting um, research and experiences into consciousness itself. And, uh, and it became such a, a powerful, powerful part of my life. So over the years, I attended many, many times, um, and the uh, at some point, um, in some of the exercises that we did there, and they have a, um, uh, a technology that they developed um, called hemispheric synchronization or hemisync, yeah. and this is a, an actual proven patented process that um, provides the ability or the technology through stereo headphones and to listening to certain frequencies or signals to take a person to that place between awake and asleep, that very powerful place uh, you know, in, in between awake and asleep that we pass through every single night as we fall asleep. When our brain waves drop to eight cycles per second, 10 cycles per second, and the rapid eye movement starts and we begin to get those little brief glimpses of daily events or little dreamlets start in our mind. And it's in that space are hundreds of levels of consciousness that we could explore hmm. if we could just be in that space. And so that was you know, sort of one of the problems with that. But the Monroe Institute technology that they developed or Bob Monroe developed called hemispheric synchronization or hemisync, we're able to tap into that space and literally hold a person indefinitely, if they're willing, in that space between awake and asleep. And so we can actually experience ourselves with our minds brilliantly awake and our bodies totally asleep. And it really, really creates some really powerful, interesting um, observations. And, you know, it's a really powerful learning tool. I don't think I've, I don't think I've heard it been described like that about the hundreds of levels of consciousness, but it kind of makes sense to me because I've been, I've been trying, I've been using a Monroe Institute lucid dreaming series lately, um, trying to get into some lucid dreaming and I've got all kinds of, you know, hemi-sync different types of things. And like, I, I find I slip into sleep pretty, you know, usually faster than I want to, but I can, yeah. I can feel now like what you mean about the levels of consciousness. Like sometimes, you know, you, you're into the dreamlets, but then it kind of dissipates or it comes back or, yeah, and it's just, I don't know. The whole thing fascinates me. The whole difference between, you know, NDEs or OBEs or lucid dreaming and all these kind of overlapping, kind of like different dimensions that seem to overlap somehow. Yes, absolutely. Well, when, you, when you're in that state, and, and, you know, I mean, it can be associated with the common dream states and things like this, and we go through that state every single night as we're drifting off to sleep. It's just right. we don't generally remember it. Right. Because our bodies fall asleep and our minds fall asleep. And then we actually, every single night, as you're drifting off to sleep, 
we leave our bodies. As your consciousness leaves, we leave our energy body leaves. And you know, we may spend the entire night floating three feet away, or we might you know, travel off into other dimensions or other places, which is more, more usual probably. But we can experience some interesting things. And in, those, in that space between awake and asleep, as soon as the brain moves into the theta range of consciousness, into um, 10 cycles, 8 cycles per second, 4 cycles per second, interesting things happen. We have this notion that when we sleep, not a lot happens. Well, it's far from true. When we sleep, we move a lot of energy through our bodies. Uh, muscle groups I mean, tighten up and then relax. And, you know, it might be your calves will tighten up and then relax and move on to the next muscle group. Ever wonder why you wake up sometimes with a Charlie horse in the middle of the night and just clawing the bed because it hurts so much? Well, that's not what caused it. The cause is probably a lack of calcium or potassium, but that's what triggers it is this natural tightening up and loosening. It's sort of a relaxation process that the body goes through. But in addition to that, as soon as we move into that level of consciousness where the dream imagery can start, we move into sleep paralysis. Our bodies absolutely lock up. And this is a natural defense that every single being, um, or certainly every single mammal on the planet goes through. Um, when we move into those levels of consciousness, our bodies lock up. And that's so that we don't hurt ourselves you know, in reaction to our dreams or hurt others while we're dreaming. And, but this is a completely natural sense. And just about, I'll bet you everybody on the planet has awakened at some point where their mind is awake, but their body is still locked up. Mm. And that can be kind of disconcerting when it's like, oh, my God, I can't move, you know, or I can't wake up, I can't get up. And <clears throat> this is a, a very natural process. So when people understand that, you know, then you're able to move hard or away from that you know, a fear-based um, reaction to it. Mm. Um, but it's essentially, um, that's what happens. And it's kind of cool when you know what it is to, you know, become aware and awake while your body is locked up. You know, it can still be a little disconcerting. But when you understand it, you can gauge and go, whoa, cool. I know I'm right. I know I'm on track, you know. I've and never actually, had, no. I've never had you've that. You've never had that? I've had uh, yeah. the vertigo quite a bit. Like, quite yeah. a bit. Like, what's say what's that? What do you mean by that? I don't know. Like, I'll, like be just about falling asleep and then I'll just fucking snap out of it. And if, I always feel like I'm, it's always like in a panic, like I'm falling or something. Oh, right. is oh okay. Yeah. Well, that's, well, that's like be. you're slipping through one of those levels of consciousness, right? In your hypnagogic state right. probably, right? Absolutely. Huh. Well, remind me a little later on about that falling sensation that you just talked about. Okay. Because I can, I'm going to I'll tell you about a whole cool new way to go out of body. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Fall out of body? I've, yeah, I've never done that. The closest well, I've come um, to going out of body is a handful of mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> well, <it's, clears throat> but it is a, <clears throat> excuse me, got this throat uh, thingy here. Um, yeah, remind me later on, and I'll, I'll mention that to you or tell you a story surrounding that and how to, you know, how to utilize that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so, so you, um, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry? Well, you're having spontaneous OBEs and then you learned about this Monroe Institute. So when you started yeah. taking their courses, did that really help you like control the, the, the phenomena or control that process? Well, that was the whole, you know, sort of thing is like, you know, much like Bob Monroe. And that's why he created the Institute basically to, to see if he could be able to, you know, you know, <coughs> do it at will um, or at least control the process. 
And uh, I had the same difficulty with it. And the full on what people refer to as the classic out of body experience, the you know, vibrational lift off where you see yourself lying there. It's so darn hard to make that happen. Mm. In fact, you can't make it happen. Well, you can you can make it happen, but you've got to step in front of a bus. Right? <laughs> yeah. the, the, the reality is the harder you try, the yeah. more impossible it becomes. Huh. Because in order for you to have an experience, um, an out-of-body experience, or um, in, even in-the-body experience of that nature, the only way that can happen is if you completely relax. And as long as you're trying to make something happen, you're not relaxing. And so it's sort of a you know conundrum. You know, the more you know, the harder you try, the worse it gets. Yeah, yeah. But but it does when you give. And this is what we notice at the Monroe Institute. When you give up trying and say this is crap, it doesn't work. You know, that's when stuff happens. All right. So what what I one of the things that I discovered when I was there, and and I got to. Um, go occasionally into what we call the lab unit or the isolation chamber. They had built, um, Bob Monroe had built for research purposes, an isolation chamber in a, in a larger laboratory building or an mm. office building. And they created this little sort of like a shed, if you will, inside this larger building. And it was uh, around six feet by six feet. And it just contained the size of a, you know, of a regular bed. <coughs> And he built this thing with the, the walls were like eight to ten inches thick, filled with insulation so that no sound could go through it. It was built on sandbags so that no vibration of a truck went by or anything else happened, that no vibration would come up through it. And sheeted the inside of it with copper to create what they call a Faraday cage, um, <laughs> preventing any kind of radio waves or cell phone waves, or of course there weren't cell phones in those days, but any kind of radio or television waves, et cetera, short waves. Um, coming through uh, at it all, and then he um, added a waterbed, a full bladder waterbed, two feet deep, with about 400 pounds of sea salt for additional buoyancy, and heated it to body temperature. And it's so amazing when you crawl into this isolation chamber and you sink into the waterbed, and the only thing in there is a microphone and a pair of headphones. And you put on the headphones and they play the sound of ocean surf at the beginning. And you just sort of hear this very relaxing surf going in, going out. And then the ocean surf fades away. And pretty soon there's these frequencies, just sort of a humming kind of frequency, uh, which they call binaural beating or virtually hemisync frequencies. Mm -hmm. And after a while, in this state of amazing sort of physical comfort, when those, when you move in, when you know into the hemisync frequencies, and you forget you have a body, literally because it, you're very comfortable and you know laying in this environment, completely quiet, completely um, warm, completely dark, uh, with no other stimulus at all, and after a while, it, you know you forget you have a body, and when you forget you have a body, you become mind. And you're unlimited in mind. And so you can go where you want or do things that you wish, et cetera, et cetera, and able to experience a whole bunch of those hundreds of levels of consciousness that I was talking about before that are in between that state of awake and asleep. And we've all experienced those kinds of things and those jerking sensations that you get. Um, and I want to mention this specifically. In that state, when we begin to drift away, 
The same place we go to every single night as we fall asleep. Uh, little dream images start in the mind. We're not awake. We're not asleep. We're just sort of hovering there. And you start to drift away. And then all of a sudden you get those little jolts. Boom. And you're back in, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? Every single night when you go to sleep, as you drift off, we leave our bodies. Our energy bodies leaves our physical bodies. And we might be just starting to drift away. And then you think of something because you're not asleep yet completely. And you've got to get back into your body to react. And that jolt is you coming back into your body. So it's like, <laughs> you know, the next time that that happens, and I want to encourage folks to do this, to become aware of this. The next time that that happens, when you feel that jolt and you're back inside your body, that's what it is. That's your energy body coming back in. Mm. That snapping sensation, that little jolt, is you coming back into your physical body. <clears throat> Can you fight so, the jolt, or is it already too late? Once you feel the jolt, you're already <laughs> back. Well, let me, okay, let me, let me, you know, move into, I'll tell you that story. The, um, <clears throat> you can't fight the jolt. <laughs> <All right. laughs> it sounds crazy. But have you, for those of you, or if you have seen the movie in, in, in oh gosh, um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Inception? Yeah. Inception. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Now, for those of you who have seen the movie or those of you who haven't, the, um, the, the basis of the movie is this you know, sort of top secret government program in which... Um, special talented people are able to induce lucid dreams in a laboratory somewhere and they're laying on a cot or um, uh, a, a chair, if you will, um, listening to certain tones and things on serial headphones. And they're able to produce a lucid dream and then interact with others in this lucid dream. And they can, if you, and if you uh, become aware that you're dreaming while you're dreaming, you can change it into a lucid dream and you can go anywhere. You can change it into an out-of-body experience, etc. So in the movie, they were adept at doing this. They could, you know, sort of power themselves with, the, you know, the stereo headphones effect in the laboratory to interact with other people's dreams. And what they found out is that they could steal secrets from other people from their dreams. They could steal thoughts from their minds. So if, say, Steve Jobs is, you know, having a dream, you know, somebody can actually, you know, observe his dream and, you know, and snatch the idea, if you will, um, you know, or observe their consciousness, if you will. And so in the basis of the story is that you know, DiCaprio has this talent uh, along with several others in this laboratory setting. And so he, for whatever reasons, cannot come back to America because he's done something wrong. And so they make a deal with him. They say, okay, we'll let you back into the country. If you do this one last job for us, we want you to try and plant an idea into somebody else's mind. If you can take their thoughts or, or their dreams or, or observe their dreams, could you implant something into somebody else's mind? Mm -hmm. So could you, for instance, and the reason for that might be, well, you know, in the future, this person, the particular person, the target person, might be possibly going to create a company or something that you know does certain bad things. Could you plant a thought into the person's mind so that they don't do it? Or you know, as industrial espionage, espionage, for instance, could you steal their ideas or make them take a different route by planting something else into their mind? So this was the concept behind this. So where this was cool, I'm watching this movie, 
and they I mean the people involved in this you know the dreamers if you will the lucid dreamers got involved in very very you know sort of dangerous kind of activities in the dream state as well and where their physical bodies might be at risk and so what they did is they had a couple of you know ways to bring these people back okay so the main one was each person had a special little musical um, tone um, that they would play when it was time to come back mm. from their dream or return. So they would hear this music and then they would know that it's time to you know come back. And if that failed, um, you know, a couple of other things. The last thing that they would try, you know, sort of the you know the fail-safe mechanism, was what they called the kick or the drop. All right. So they would literally drop the person in the lap. All right, create this falling over sensation in the lab, and immediately that would bring them back. All right, that's what would return them to physical consciousness. You know, this. And I'm watching that, and I'm like, shit, that's the key. That's how you do it. That's got to be it because there is nothing else that is more ingrained into us than what we call the startle reaction. All right. This is what, what was it called? The startle into- loop. Yes, this, the startle reaction. Or right. the, yeah, the, the, yeah, the startle. And, and there's nothing that um, you know, gets us more than that. And, and we're born with it. The minute, in fact, when you come out of the womb, when you're born, one of the first things the doctor does after he gets your breathing, of course, is the doctor will turn around and make a slight drop with the baby. And if the baby doesn't flex his arms back in and, and that startle um, reaction, then the doctor knows there could be some neurological damage. And, you know, so that's the mechanism by which they can determine that a person is normal if they have that startle reaction. Okay. So I'm um, <clears throat> watching this and I'm thinking, oh my God, that's the key to it. What if I didn't react? And every animal has this in the planet. All mammals for sure do it. Okay. I mean, and this is really because we're we're you know, we're designed to stay in our bodies, and that's <laughs> what keeps us from falling over and smacking our heads on the floor. Is that startle reaction or that falling sensation automatically catches us, no matter whether you're a cat or whether you're a lobster, for God's sakes. <laughs> Every being, you know, has that same startle reaction. Um, certainly, human beings have it. <clears throat> so I'm thinking that, whoa. What if I'm able to set myself up, sort of prop myself, and we've all done that, where you can be watching television or something or sitting there and you're a little bit, you know, um, propped up at a little a bit of an angle and you drift off to sleep and you get those little jolts, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking that could be the key to it. So I thought, what if I didn't startle? What if I didn't react to this jolt? What if I just let it happen? Mm-hmm. All right, so I set myself up in bed, and I'm, I'm putting on I put on this Hemisync CD in my player, and I'm listening with headphones, and I'm getting into that place where I'm starting to get those little jolts and stuff like that to come, and you know, feeling that sort of disoriented, you know, space, and I'm waiting for it, and I put myself just a little bit on my left side so that I would have some falling room, you know, or something that would allow me to create that movement. Yeah. And so I'm laying there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I can feel it. Here it comes, here it comes. Oh, crap. And I jolted, right? 
So I'd go back into it, and I don't know, four, five, six times, and I could feel it coming, and here it comes, here it comes, shoot! And every time I reacted and did that little jolt, and I thought, that is, wow, that is so hard to not do, you know, or to, to, to ignore that reaction. It was, I think, on this, you know, um, I tried it, I think, for two nights in a row, usually, and, you know, subsequently woke up in the morning laying, you know, cock out of bed. Mm-hmm. But I think it was on the third night or something like that after trying a few times. And, you know, I'd be like laying there and here it comes, here it comes. I can feel the, you know, the, that little drop or that shift in consciousness. Here it comes, you know, and I'm thinking, don't you move, don't you move. Oh, darn. <laughs> and it was so hard. And finally, I'm laying there and, it, you know, I could feel it building on me and I'm, I'm propped up on my left side a little bit. And, you know, just slightly, and I can feel it come, here it comes, here it comes, don't you move. And I just relaxed. And the next thing I know, I was underneath my bed. <laughs> just fell out the bottom of the bed. And I came racing out of the, from underneath the bed, just absolutely ecstatic because I'd been able to do it. So I've told a few people that, including um, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a number of my you know, uh, students as well, and they've given them a try and, and have found that they can make it happen. Well, now I'm going to have to cool. try it out because I can get into that state pretty easily. Like I could go upstairs and be in that state in 20 minutes. Yeah. 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 So just, you know, lay in bed where you're comfortable. I mean, don't do it on the chair because you're going to fall over and whack your head on the floor. You know, if you lay, it in, lay in bed or just, you know, so that you're just a little bit off, you know, off kilter or whatever, so that you can, you know, feel that movement coming or whatever. And, you know, but if you lay flat on your back or something like that, you know, and next thing you'll be snoring, you know, so you have to sort of, you know, play with it and see what works for you. But uh, had a, a number of uh, friends that I've told that to that have finally been able to do it. So it's right when it's about to happen, you got to relax, fully relax. Well, just, yeah, well, I mean, you, you, you know, I mean, now, it, yeah. Uh, I mean, I did it while I was listening to him sing, right? which yeah. allows you to stay in that space between awake and asleep. So it's very helpful to do that, you know. So whether a person could actually do it, I think you could without listening to him sing. I think I think you could hold yourself in that space. Um, probably one of the best times to do this. Um, I think I've got some try- of those too. Yeah, I think we've got yeah, well, a couple think- of those CDs. Yeah. Yeah, I would, you know, and you can give that a try because it helps you to stay in that space. I think you can do without with it, it without. I mean, you can try it at night when you're drifting off to sleep, but, you know, if you're too tired, you're just going to fall asleep. But what I found out is the, probably the best times in the morning, say it's Saturday morning and you don't got to get up, you know, when you wake up, go to the bathroom, crawl back into bed and just, you know, return to that dreamy, sleepy state. Yeah, that's, a, you, that's when they say the best creative. thing. Yeah. They say yeah, the best time to lucid dream is at that time too. So, absolutely, yeah. Just lay in bed. You know, you don't have to go anywhere or do anything, and just you know, allow yourself to hover in that state, and then uh, see if you can set yourself up so that you don't, you know, react to that startle effect. Hmm, yeah. Well, cool. that essentially is a lucid dream, right? Well, no, there's the no, no, essentially you're in a lucid dream. No, Once you're under the bed, you know you're you're. Fucking dreaming, real? Or is no. that, aren't you in the lucid dream? No, then? it's different. Yeah. 
What's no, the difference? No. Really? I, I mean, um, just reading about it in, in Robert Wagner's book. <laughs> he's yeah. yeah, like they say that OBEs, you remember it super clear, like it's reality. And lucid right. dream is a little bit sketchy. You can forget it a bit. Well, I mean, lucid dreams can be, you know, really powerful as well. Yeah, right. And and, and they're certainly powerful while they're happening. And then twenty minutes later, you go, "What the hell?" You know, what's that? Right. But an out of body experience is you will not forget it. You know, I mean, well, now let me let me let me back up a little bit. There are different levels of out of body experiences. There are experiences that I thought they were just wispy and just you know, so almost imaginative. And then I discovered that, yes, that did actually happen. I was there and I did see my kid running into school with a, you know, with a strange jacket on late, you know, and wow. stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah. And it was wispy, you know, but the more powerful ones like this, if you're doing this and you fall underneath, you find yourself underneath your bed, you will not forget that. That's not a lucid dream. That's an out-of-body experience. Right? Okay. Now, sometimes, sometimes dreams are the brain's recreation or interpretation of an out-of-body experience <laughs> as well, because we do that every single night. But here's a, <clears throat> here, here's sort of a, uh, I get a, involved in, you know, in lots of research in, into consciousness itself and things like that, into dreams and sleep and so on and so forth. Here's something in the sort of, is a, you know, is a, a what the hell <laughs> kind of effect. Um, if you have, for instance, when you're dreaming in the morning, let's say you get your alarm set and you're dreaming, you know, and your alarm goes off, right? And it might seem like a two-hour dream. You've been dreaming, oh, now here's the alarm goes off, right? Well, the reality is that entire dream could have been triggered in the split second that the alarm went off. Huh. Isn't that? Is that mind-boggling? Yeah. So I mean, that, that, that two-hour dream could have happened in that millisecond when the alarm went off. Yeah, that's, and, that's like, uh, I watched a, a movie that kind of tied into that, that they say, like, after death, your brain can still operate for, like, eight minutes or something like that, and they said how much how much of that could account for, like, how long eight minutes of real time could be in that altered state. <laughs> well, um, I would, yeah, um, <clears throat> the, there are notions that consciousness is in the brain, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, con the brain is just simply, is just simply a relay system of uh, your consciousness. Your thought process is outside of the brain as far as I'm concerned. So, and all you have to do is just once experience your, experience yourself. And I want to try and fall through my bed. That's my mission. <laughs> hey, well, that'd be really cool. Yeah, give it a try. <laughs> so, Paul, I, do, I think you just answered a, a question I had, actually, and I had it for Robert Wagner because we have him coming on, too, about lucid dreaming. But but um, it was about a couple times I've had this dream where something happens in my dream and creates a sound, and at the same time as that sound happens, like the sound is actually coming from outside. So, for example, I might have dropped something off a desk in my dream, and as, as the exact time that that thing lands, a car door slams, and the sound of that thing landing on the floor is actually the car door slamming. So it's like, how does my dream know that that car right. door is going to slam at that time when the thing falls on the floor? Like, the timing is impeccable, right? Right. Well, it's what, yeah, I mean, because I think because um, consciousness is so vast. Right. Our experiences are contained, you know, um, uh, like, can you have a two-hour dream in a split second? Yes. <laughs> because huh. time isn't the reality. It's like a download. 
it's like you know i mean now we're in the in the computer world where we can download an hour movie you know in 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 you know in a few seconds and i think that's similar to how the brain or how conscious not the brain but how consciousness operates is that we have access to all of these time periods already and we have access to different um, sort of dimensions and different possibilities and so you know it's a really really exciting kind of research yeah i think it's really really amazing stuff to get into So it's probably it's probably a good time to say what what's the difference between that and 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 remote viewing. So you because you teach remote viewing. So remote right. viewing, as far as I know, I don't think it's the same as like out of body viewing, right? No. <laughs> like I mean, the, the reality is it can be right. But yeah, yeah. For the yeah. most yeah, for the most part, for the most part, for most people, it's not. It can um, remote viewing can be a or I mean, uh, the out of body experience can become a part of the remote viewing. Uh, we call it a bilocation. Um, <clears throat> but um, I think the two are, are fairly distinctly different. It's like obtaining uh, information psychically, but you know how you do it. You know, it varies between you know different people. You know, like um, is is the corner store psychic a remote viewer? Well, in terms of what we referred to as remote viewing. Remote viewing is a process. It's a controlled process. So the psychic might, you know, or we, we have, perhaps we might have um, cognitive dreams in which, you know, we can predict the future and say, oh my God, I dreamt that, you know, my sister was going to get in a car accident. And sure enough, she did, you know, I'm a psychic, you know, well, you know, or I'm a remote viewer. Well, no, you know, you're not a remote viewer. Right, right. At an accurate psychic perception, you know, um, remote viewing by itself is is really a process that is sort of a controlled, you know, um, process. <clears throat> but um, probably, I, I think probably to give folks a kind of an idea of this, what we're talking about, um, is I need to back up a little bit. Yeah, when yeah. I was at Monroe Institute in Virginia, and I got to go into this lab that I was telling telling you about the isolation chamber and do some pretty cool, you know, things. Um, and uh, some of the experiences that I had uh, or some of the things that I was able to tell people about um, got somebody's attention. And one day, uh, I mean, I was introduced to some really interesting people. Um, and there was, for instance, this fellow named Dale Graff. And, um, and, and just, you know, amazing, amazing people. And Dale, turns out, was... Pentagon director, the civilian director of this top secret 
known as Project Stargate. Yeah, yeah. Remote, the government remote viewing program, and you know, and I found out and learned about all of this stuff, and you know, and it was just so amazing to me. I'm thinking, like, you know, uh, because I'm told about this, and I'm thinking. Are you kidding me? You know, I might have been born in Saskatchewan, but it wasn't <laughs> yesterday. You know, it's oh. sort of like this is crazy stuff, you know. Um, but these were very legitimate people. And then I found out that this mild-mannered lab tech at the Monroe Institute, the guy who is sort of the research guy, and he, you know, had this funny little beard, and he was the guy that, you know, that would run the lab sessions and be his voice that would come on in the headphones when I'm, you know, sinking deep into the world somewhere. They would come on and say, tell us what's happening. <laughs> and, you know, sort of shock the crap out of me. You know, this mild-mannered little, you know, lab tech guy named Skip, and I find out that he, in a past incarnation, um, just a few years earlier than that, he was, in fact, the captain, um, um, Fred Atwater. And he was the recruiting officer and the manager of this top secret project, Stargate. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, 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 this is too wild. And, and well, long story short, um, you know, um, I spent a lot of time training with um, several of the original Stargate um, personnel. And I've never, ever worked for Stargate because I'm Canadian, but I have done um, some um, projects or helped out in certain things in intelligence operations, sometimes looking for hostages, sometimes looking for criminals, sometimes, you know, um, investigating certain aspects um, that are available to remote viewers. And it's really an amazing, amazing process. This is a natural ability that every single human being has. We all, it is the, you know, sort of in a nutshell, it's the ability, the innate ability of all humans to be able to describe any person, place, thing, or event going back in time remotely without any clue at all. In fact, here's the thing about remote viewing. The most important part of it that is sort of counter-psychic intuitive part of it is that the less that a remote viewer knows, the better they do. Huh. So are you, pulling, are you pulling information from the Akashic field or like the... Right. From, something from like that, or like the morphic absolutely. resonance kind of thing or something? Absolutely, because it's sort of like wherever this, you know, wherever the information is, right? Um, so, the, and, you know, and people will say, because the more you know about it, the more your left brain gets involved and you make up bullshit. Ah, right? yeah. When it, yeah. Comes to, when it comes to remote viewing, your left brain is the biggest enemy. Because your left brain has very adept at looking after you all of your life, and it wants to be the fastest and the quickest and get there first and figure it out immediately because that's what keeps you alive. Well, when it comes to remote viewing, that's, that part of you that wants to leap ahead gets you into trouble and gets you on the wrong road. So people will say things like, well, you know, or ask things like, um, can I remote view my grandma? And I say, well, yes, you can, but be very suspicious of the information that you get because you know grandma. Yeah, and exactly. so you'd be like, you'd be like, okay, oh, it's Sunday morning. Grandma's in church, and this could be the day she's down at the casino dropping a bundle, and you'd be absolutely wrong, right? So it's when we know something about the target, that's when we're in sort of, you know, in danger of being influenced by our own memories and thoughts of it. So where a remote viewer is the most accurate is when they have not a clue. And they can only rely on that information, that psychic information that bubbles up inside. So, Paul, 
I've got I've got an envelope here with something in it, and Darren and Joey have not a clue what's inside it. <laughs> can you can you can we try a little uh, a little remote view <laughs> process here? <laughs> it won't likely work because my process is laying down for about fifteen to twenty minutes to uh, to get into the cool down state. Oh right, right, right. <laughs> to get into that. And like... I don't think and, and I don't think you got time for that. Um, that's sort of how my, you know how my process is. Sometimes stuff will come up, you know, inside just immediately. But usually, you know, I'm pretty much used to my process. And if I'm doing, say, operational kinds of things, looking for missing kids or people or, you know, or hostages and stuff like that, um, you know, it usually takes about a you know a 15 to 20 minute cool down, which may may or may not involve some snoring. Yeah. That's that would be me. So so give us a little rundown of how that would work then. So if uh if Darren and Joey were to remote view what's in my envelope or whatever. So what would you do? Just tell us how you would put us through the process then. Like how would that work? Okay. Well, um what in in the early years of the program? I mean, I'll give you a, just a quick little shot of Yeah, just here. a summary, yeah. Yeah, back in 1973 around that area of time. Um, CIA had intelligence, American CIA had intelligence that the Soviets had trained psychics who could spy on America. These were guys who, or women, who could literally sit in a darkened room in Russia and draw diagrams of missile sites, if you will, in the States. And of course, this concerned them greatly because if that was true, that would be like a huge threat. So they really had nowhere to go or didn't know, you know where to go with that kind of, you know, how can they find out more about it? So the people sort of the um, foremost people operating in that day were at the Stanford Research Institute in, in, Calif- in California. And there was uh, two scientists there, two physicists, Russell Targ and Hal Putoff. And they were working on testing psychic abilities in humans with people like Ingo Swan, who was a gifted you know, artist and uh, psychic in, from, the, from New York, and Pat Price, who was a former detective from Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And they were doing the typical things that they would do to test psychic ability. So they would say, okay, here's five cards on the table in front of you. One of them has a picture underneath. Which one is it? You know, and doing that kind of thing. Um, and with some good success, Ingo Swan and Pat Price did some amazing stuff. And about this time, the CIA shows up and they say, well, we got this information or intelligence that the Russians are able to do this. And, and is that possible? And they said, yeah, probably. And it begged the next question was in, you know, that they asked was like, oh, my God, well, how do we defend against it? And they said, good luck. And you can't. And the third question, of course, is, well, then is this something we can do? Can we learn how to do this? And they thought that they could. And Russell Targan helped. But of course, they were thinking, oh my God, we could get a government contract. This would be so good. So um, <laughs> what they did is the CIA, the particular officer, um, granted them a $50,000 um, grant to study the possibility of remote viewing uh, and basically funded an eight-month study. During that period of time, they worked with Ingo Swan primarily, who, uh, and they would, in early days, they would, um, they would use geographical coordinates, because these were provable points. So they would say, okay, this longitude and latitude, uh, Ingo described the location. And for backup, they might send a person out to this place, or for backup, they might take a photograph of any person, place, thing, or event, and put it in an envelope and seal it up completely with just the geographical coordinates on it so that there's no way these guys would know anything about it. 
And then they would simply say, okay, now focus on these geographical coordinates and describe what you get. Describe the person, place, thing, or location. All right? And so they developed some, a, a pretty accurate process of doing this and uh, by using geographical coordinates. About uh, eight months later, the end of the study, the CIA officer kept reading returns and says, okay, uh, what do you got? And they said, yeah, we got something. We think we can, you know, it'll work. And so Kip brings along, they explained to him the process. He brought along a target, a test target, if you will, for them. And uh, in a sealed envelope, which he wasn't going to let them even come close to, but just the geographical coordinates. Now, in this envelope, Kip had put into it, um, I believe it was the photograph of his country home in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, his summer home uh, in somewhere in the hills of Virginia. And so they started off, uh, you know, given just those coordinates, Pat Price and Angus Wan started off and they were pretty much consistent. And they said, well, it uh, seems to be a rural, forested, hilly area, lots of trees, quiet, uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And then Pat Price went right off the deep end and he started describing, well, yeah, but he got into describing this top secret underground bunker with armed <laughs> guards and and communication towers and satellites and all sorts of stuff and and uh, he even named some of the names of people who supposedly worked there and the names of the files and the file cabinets and you know and the CIA agent is just listening to this and thinking what a crock <laughs> you know a bunch of hippie scientists from California you know, and uh, so he got like ticked off and he said, you know, guys, you know, this is such, you know, and he's mad because they wasted 50 grand. And he says, this is my summer home underground top secret bunker. And, and he heads off and he's ticked, right? Um, two or three weeks later, supposedly, according to the story, um, he heads out to his summer home in Virginia, drives into the yard. As soon as he sees this house, he's ticked off again because he remembers all of this and he's just blah, blah, blah. Gets out of his car and notices up on the hill behind his house, there's something shining or glint. So spends some time, crawls up behind his house on the hill <laughs> and comes upon this communication tower and a big round satellite dish. Remember the early satellite dishes? Well, you wouldn't remember. When they first came out you know, 25, 30 years ago, they were like 17 feet of aluminum. Yeah, the big black ones. Uh, you had a big stand yeah. in your backyard. Right, and big aluminum, you know, the gray aluminum things. Anyway, here they are. There's these big satellite dishes and communications towers, and the next thing you know, he's basically tackled and thrown to the ground and arrested <laughs> and handcuffed and, and hauled away. And and so, I mean, they uh, what it resulted, and actually he had intruded on a top-secret, a super-top-secret NSA facility, so top secret that the CIA didn't know anything about it. <laughs> and so this, of course, you know, created a huge, they launched a massive investigation and they headed out to California with flashlights to look at these scientists' butts to see how they could possibly know this. Because there must be obviously be a leak somewhere because nobody could know this stuff. <clears throat> Long story short, you know, it proved to be really, really accurate. Pat Price was deadly with it. In fact, he had named accurately the names of some of the people he'd read their name badges which is phenomenal in the world of psychic abilities um he had correctly described the names on the file cabinets and they had to do with the game of pool some of them were like eight ball and cue stick etc 
so after this massive investigation, at some point they realized that, hey, this was legitimate. There's no way these guys knew this or had any you know, previous knowledge of it. So that began this program and uh, was initially started by the CIA and funded uh, for years. And um, it became um, on call to all of the intelligence services in the U.S., from the Defense Department to Army Intelligence to Air Force, and, and, and basically on call to just about every agency. Wow. And uh, they, they operated out of um, a small unit uh, in Fort Meade, Maryland, and uh, for a whole bunch of years until about 1995, I think, or 1996, I'm not sure which year it was, when the it got leaked somehow, this whole thing, and the newspapers, Chicago Tribune, New York Times had headlines like, you'll never believe what our government's been doing. They've been training psychics, the spies, and the giggle factor set in. Yeah. And if you if you got a top secret program and everybody knows about it, well <laughs> You gotta it, shut it, it down. Lessons. Yeah, it lessens its value. So in typical fashion CIA came out and they said, Okay, yeah, we've been doing it for all of these years, but it really doesn't work that good, so we're shutting it down. And now we know the genesis uh, of why the CIA and the NSA are at each other's throats all the time is because the CIA never knew about their top secret facility. <laughs> well, there's kidding. a whole bunch more to it than yeah. that. And <laughs> uh, and do you and do you really think they shut it down? Well, no, actually, I don't they, think they, no. They did, yeah, they did shut down Stargate, and the guys were reassigned. But um, it seems to be a pretty common kind of. Um, perception that there were at least two other divisions and they're still, you know, because it, it, it was very, very accurate and worked very, very, very well. So um, long story short, it was a phenomenal program and, and I've seen some of the, and, and a lot of this stuff is now available. Um, you know, I don't know if it's available online, but it's been declassified over the years and there's some amazing, amazing um, psychic kits. Now, what we talked about, what we're, you know, this is sort of, you know, um, getting back to this, um, to this envelope that you have and that whole perception behind it. So, um, and just, just for, if you can bear with me just for another minute here. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of years after, you know, they were, the program was operating and they were doing um, an actual um, sort of a, um, uh, what's the word, a demonstration a real live demonstration to, I think, the Joint Chiefs of Staff or something like that. Yeah. And Angus Swan was doing this as a completely blind target given the geographical coordinates. And I think the target was the, um, the, the photograph in the envelope was the Bikini Island, which is the, the um, island where the U.S. Uh, atomic. tested the, yeah. first, the first atomic bomb. <clears throat> And Engel was very accurate, and let me describe sand and wind and sun and warmth and salt ocean and do a picture of an island and stuff like that. And it was a, like a perfect hit. And some old general, according to the story at the back, said, well, that's a bunch of bullshit. Everybody knows that Karadin is such and such. Yeah. The island. yeah. And, and so they called it, the, sort of like Maxwell Smart, they called it the memorize the coordinates of the globe trick, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was completely bizarre and... and uh, but what it did do is it triggered Ingo to say, well, we don't need no stinking coordinates. We can use random numbers and it'll work just as well. It's because it's, so it, it, it's the intention behind it or? Right, right. So, um, <clears throat> and that's what they did. Um, it's been proven so many times over and over and over. Uh, if you go on the internet, there's millions and millions of pages uh, you know, of proof, if you will. So um, what they do, generally speaking, and um, 
and I've done some projects, some sort of um, where there is no target number. They basically just they tell us what we need to know, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's it out of a field of everything, you know. So it's really kind of a remarkable that kind of remarkable that it works. And the reality is that time doesn't time doesn't seem to have an effect on it. So at the Mineral Institute now, over the years, I hung around, as I mentioned, I hung around too long, and they thought I worked there, so they hired me. But <laughs> I, was hired, <laughs> I was hired the, specifically as a um, remote viewing trainer. And so I trained the remote viewing program at the Mineral Institute of Virginia for uh, 10 years with uh, wow. with, the, with the Skip Atwater, who was the former um, um, Stargate manager and uh, recruiting officer. And... Uh, and that's what I do in Canada and on the West Coast here as well, and all across Canada, actually. And I've uh, been out to Calgary a number of times, and because uh, it's sort of my, my home area. Um, you know, I still drive up in the hill where CTV used to be back in the 70s. And back then, my brother and I used to ride up and down that hill in front of C, uh, CTV on our dirt bikes. And now, it's just covered with houses. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, kid, my kids still live in Calgary, so I get back there quite often and offer workshops back there as well. Yeah, teaching this prospect of remote viewing. Yeah, we're grounding. So, we are grounding the workshop. For no, sure. I, I've been in two of his workshops already. Yeah. Oh, have you? Yeah. yeah. What have you learned? How to remote view? I'm. I'm just. I'm not you very still good at it. You still haven't figured out lucid dreaming. You've been trying that for <laughs> fucking four years. No, I'm just trying it again, and I, I, I took a couple of years off of trying lucid dreaming. So, it's it's tough because I don't feel like I can visualize very well. So I feel like remote viewing is kind of challenging to me. Yeah. Well, actually, um, Graham did pretty good. Don't let him fool you. Yeah. No. He, um, even if he didn't secret. think, even if he didn't think that he did, because you see, here's the problem: is the left brain tries to get involved and tries to interpret stuff. All right. So the whole thing about it is, I mean, basically, what we do. There's two things you can do. Speaking of that envelope that you've got. All right. Now, if you want to try, and now you, ha- I expect you have a photograph inside the envelope. Uh. <laughs> uh. Kinda. Or an object yeah. of some sort. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a photograph. It's a photograph of something, yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it can be a photograph of any person, place, thing, or event, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, you know, typically that's, you know, that's what happens, right? So inside a sealed envelope. So there's two things that you can do to try and psychically see what it is. You can try and psychically see inside the envelope, but then what are you doing? You're attempting to look at a two-dimensional image with psychic abilities. Right. Wouldn't it be easier or better if you could go to where the photograph was taken at the time it was taken? And then if you were there in physical body, what would you smell? What would you hear? What would you taste? What would you feel? All right. Mm. If you could go there. And so that's essentially what remote viewing pushes us kind of to do is to set aside, you know, all of our or set aside our concepts of the left brain and what, and we would simply focus on if I were there looking over the shoulder of the guy taking the photograph right now, what would I smell? What would I hear? What would I taste? And the first thing that comes up into your mind, it's kind of an interesting thing. In order to do this properly, we need to um, empty your mind of all thoughts. Now that's pretty hard. Strangely enough, there's only, um, can you believe this? Is actually, only two natural occurring events in your life when you can't entertain another thought in your mind. You know when those are? No. Well, yeah, when you're peak, born. At the peak of at the peak of an orgasm. 
<laughs> wow. And, and well, I mean, and don't try. You're just going to mess it up, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but at the peak of an orgasm, and guess what? At the peak of a sneeze. Oh. I'm at the moment all of a the sneeze, time. you. Yeah, you can. Yeah, well, you cannot entertain a thought while you're sneezing. It just goes boom, and you cannot entertain a thought. All right. Anyway, so, that's crazy. <laughs> but that's <laughs> so when you got a remote view, Darren. When you sneeze. Yeah. Exactly. Or or when you're having an argument. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. When I sneeze, I get erections. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> so what you got to do is take some lots of pepper for it. <laughs> yeah. The um. Yeah. What was he going to say here? Oh, so, but this, you know, the, the whole concept of draining your know, thoughts from your mind, right, is very important when it comes to remote viewing. So we would write down this number. It could be just a random number. Do you have a, uh, do you have a number on there, Graham? No, I can put one on, though. No, it's, it's, not, it's not important, you know, but it's just, you know, as a possibility. So what the remote viewing student would do is write down that number mm-hmm. and then try and drain all thoughts from his mind. And then simply go through and force himself to break down his perceptions into the five or six physical body senses, right? If I was there, what colors would I see? All right? What would I smell? What would I hear? And usually what works the best is when you do that, when you write down that number, that target number, and you stop at the end of it, and they call this an ideogram in the remote viewing world. And it's a sort of a reactionary thing. It's like, like pushing the button on a camera, on the shutter, opening the shutter in a camera, right? Or um, probably in this day and age, probably a better um, simile would be um, if you are opening an attachment, if you were opening a photograph on your computer, right? If you look at your screen of your computer, and maybe it's on your desktop, right? Mm-hmm. And you take the attachment and you click down on it. What happens? Nothing, right? <laughs> if you're like left clicking, if you don't have a Mac, right? Okay. If you left click and you click down on it, yeah, nothing happens, right? What happens is actually the computer goes into null mode, drains all thoughts from its frame, right? It's when you let go, you up click. That's when it all of a sudden boom, and then the the image appears in your screen. Right? Okay. Okay. All right. So it, it could also be a double click where you're, you know, where you're clicking down twice. You click down, you let bring it back up, and, you know, and you click down. And it's the last time when you let go, and you click back up and the image appears in your screen. Right. So what folks can do is that instead of a help, when you're writing down this number, you're doing the remote viewing, you get to the end of the number, stop. Imagine that you've got this computer screen in your mind. And it's going to show you the photograph of what's in the envelope or the image, all right? And so it'd be sort of like, you know, draining all thoughts from your mind. And when you're ready, you click down and you hold it, draining all thoughts, knowing that as soon as you let go, there's going to be an image pop up in the screen in your mind, all right? Now, you might have to do that 10 times or 100 times, you know, but each time, and, and say the first time, you might say, okay, what colors do I get? Is there any overall color kind of perception? You would write those down. And then you would go back to your page again and stop, drain all thoughts from your mind and say, okay, if I was there, would I smell anything? What would I smell? And you would write that down, right? And then drain all thoughts again from your mind and just go through that process, all of your five physical senses, you know, to then what would I see if I was there? 
And by that time, sometimes you get visual imagery that comes up. But for most people in the early stages, it's not like you're seeing anything. In fact, calling it remote viewing is probably a misnomer. It should be called remote sensing. Right. Because what we, what we find is that emotional impact is far more revealing or important and accurate, right, than brain stuff or visual impact, okay? And, and it makes sense, right? And it's, it's sort of like following your gut intuition. Right, right. Right, that feeling in your gut, right? That, you know, and so what we find actually that targets, that even practice targets that we use, that they're more... Um, uh, the more emotionally laden a target is, the better people do with it because they feel it. Hmm. And the best part of the rest part, your remote viewing part, the best part of you that remote views is your heart and your, your gut. You can trust your gut. <laughs> you can't trust your brain. Your brain makes up stuff. So let me ask you a question uh, before I forget here. Yeah. So is, do you write the number down before you clear your mind? Is that the first thing you do? Or you clear your mind first and then you write the number down uh, well, it can go either. Yeah, it can go either way. But generally speaking, what I do is um, I'll, I have the number in mind, so I'll write it at the top of my sheet. Right. All right. And then I cool down a little bit, get really relaxed, and stuff. Right. And then when I'm ready, you know, after my relaxed period, might be 15 minutes. Then I write this number down again, and when I get to the end of it, to the last digit, I stop. Yeah. And I hold my pencil there, and then if that's the point where I try to eliminate all thoughts from my mind and just either pretending that I'm shift, I'm just going to click on a camera shutter button, you know, click, you know, and expect something to happen uh, or something to open up in my mind. And I actually project like a monitor, a computer monitor. Uh, imagine seeing that in my mind, my own computer monitor. And, and you know, sometimes I'll use the, um, the mouse trick, you know, clicking down, you know, when I get to that last number of clicking down and knowing that as soon as I let go, and I'm ready that it's going to you know, bring up an image of some sort, right? And uh, so, and then I begin from there, applying all of your senses to it. And it's in doing that, it's by segregating and forcing us to break down our impressions into individual impressions that keeps us from jumping to conclusions. Right, because that's going to happen lots, right? Like something will come to your mind and you'll jump to a conclusion like, oh, it's the Leaning Tower of Pisa or something like that. Or Totally. Totally. And so what we is tell people is... it the Leaning is, Tower of Pisa? No, no. No, no, it isn't. <laughs> so what we tell people is to never try to name something. Yeah, that's right. right? Okay. Because you would just describe. So you wouldn't say, if it was, let's say the target was you know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? So we wouldn't want you to say, well, you know, it's a building or it's a Leaning Tower of Pisa, you know, because you might be right off, you know, out to lunch. Right. What we would ask for, or the best way of doing it, would you would be start out and you would say, okay, what colors do I get? Ooh, let me see, um, white, kind of creamish color, you know, and just going down the page and stopping and say, oh, I keep getting this angle. It just feels like, you know, something tilting, like an angle here, right? Drawing this vertical line at a bit of an angle. Um, and I go, there's a horizon on the bottom here or something like that. And then you would keep going. Well, what do I smell when I'm there? Mm, well, I don't know. I smell flowers, smell popcorn, right? <laughs> it could be anything like that. What do I hear when I'm there? Oh, yeah. hear people's sounds, sounds of people's voices. You know, oh, it feels like it's echoing, kind of an echoing sound. 
That's how remote viewing comes. Hmm. And you keep going through this process and picking out all of these little things. What would, what would I taste if I was there? Whatever that means, right? What would I smell? What do I hear? You know, I hear seagulls, you know, I hear traffic sounds and all of those things. And if you keep going through that process, you begin to get imagery. And then pretty soon that you, you might say, well, yeah, but there's something round there. It feels roundish. I think it has to do with this angly thing, you know, this vertical line that's kind of at an angle, but it's round and it seems like really big and heavy, you know. And so you would get to the end and you might draw a perfect diagram of this round building, you know, that's kind of off tilt without saying, oh, I think it's the Tower of Pisa. Right, right. Hmm. I think it's gray and white. (laughs) Perfect. Yes. (laughs) You know, it's Uh a building and it seems like it's falling over. It's hanging on the side, you know, something like that. Right. So you would get, you know, it's by using all of those pieces, you know, without putting them together, you know, or trying to figure it out, you know, and trying to name it. That's the biggest enemy. All right. And that's basically how remote viewing works. Right. And, and it can be astonishingly accurate when you become really practiced at it. And you'll remember, uh, Graham, um, remember when we did a live outbounder in that class? I'm not sure, actually. That's a few years ago. I can, uh, explain that. Yeah, when, yeah. We, when we did an actual person, um, we had a, an actual live person somewhere on the planet. Oh, I think that was before I took it, or yeah, it was probably the one before. I don't think we did that in the class I took. Yeah, uh, no, we did, but uh, you know, oh, okay, you may not remember. okay. How yeah. long ago was that? Was that a few years ago? I, a couple, a couple years ago. It was when you were here for that expo, and then once I think you were here at. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, 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 it's yeah, it's a few years ago. Ready, my God, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, we had, um, um, yeah, yeah, we had another founder. Uh, was a gal who was at a man-made lake in Orlando, Florida. with a big fountain fountain in the middle of it. And I remember that, and I remember because you pretty much, you you know, this this seems crazy, but I mean, I do remember you, and I do remember that you drew this big round thing with water and everything else. If you go back to your notes, you'll find it. Okay, I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, that was sort of, uh, um, that's basically sort of a, a, in a nutshell, you know, um, the process of remote viewing. And over the years, it's been used so effectively with so many, many things. It's The reality is that a trained remote viewer, it's not only the fact that a trained remote viewer can describe a completely hidden target, you know, like, uh, for instance, the pyramid. Not only could a trained remote viewer um, describe the pyramid perfectly, but also what was in the minds of the people who built it. Huh. So there are no limitations. All right. Um, you can go through anything, and we use that for, for um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for looking for hostages, for missing people, for chasing criminals sometimes, and mm. things of that nature. So it seems. So can to... you look inside the pyramid then? Well, yeah, yeah. certainly. You can, can go on. You can go on the dark side of the moon, like people have done, right? Can you check out yeah. the pyramids for us for any secret chambers and report <laughs> back? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> there you go. He's already done it. <laughs> so it's, it seems to me like like the people that are the best at this have had some sort of, uh, like, you know how you hear people that have had NDEs or OBEs or um, different types of things happen to them. They kind of gain these abilities. Like, 
uh, wasn't one of the Stargate guys too injured in the war or something, and he had something happen mm-hmm. in his brain? Like, is that is that kind of give you a better chance at, at being good at this than just the average Joe? Well, that's that's what they thought initially. I mean, and there's there's still that belief. They believe that um, people that had near death experiences seem to be able to reconnect to that psychic pathway in their mind or whatever when that occurred. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And a number of the Stargate remote viewers had had or had been, um, you know, near-death experiencers. Uh, David Morehouse, Joe McMonagall, for, for sure. And, but I, and I think there's some truth to that. So they've found that people that had near-death experiences seem to have this extra ability. And so being that they were in the military, they put out, you know, sort of this little notice to all of the, you know, the commanders or whatever and say, Hey, if you've got any of your guys talking about weird shit, you know, because you got, <laughs> you know, shell shocked or something, we want to talk to them, you know? And so that's how they put out sort of the feelers for recruits. You know, if any, you got anybody who's talking about weird stuff when that money, you know, ran into that bomb or something like that, then we want to talk to them. Wow. But, and I think, and I think there's some truth to the, you know, that they're able to retrace that psyche pathway. But I think more than anything else, I think, What's more important is that you could not possibly have that experience. You could not have a near-death experience without going through it a million times in your mind. And the more time you spend inside your mind, the more you understand how you process thought. Hmm. And that seems to be important. But here's another kicker. What they also found out was that adults who had been abused as children seemed to have this extra ability. Right. Wow. And in, in, and I've seen the report, like some psychological reports that, you know, folks have done and heard reference to them where an adult would say, you know, in talking to a psychiatrist, for instance, an adult would say, well, you know, if, you know, if they were abused as children, whatever it was, you know, whether it's physical, mentally or you know, sexually, you know, and, and, and the person would say something like, well, to this kind of well, when it got really bad, I would go into the wall. Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, so what they had learned to do was disassociate from their own bodies. Right. You know, so they literally perhaps went into the wall, into a mental wall, you know, but in doing that, they were learning how to separate themselves from their bodies to disassociate. So maybe we can try and beat into an out-of-body state, girl. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so that, that seems to be, you know, the way, um, the way it, you know, it went. So, um, but, and, and it's absolutely true, and I've seen some amazing, amazing um, uh, abilities with people that have, you know, had that. But also there are folks who have never had a near-death experience, haven't been abused, who have really are able to, you know, they just operate, you know, mentally in a little bit of a different way. So hmm. remote viewing is something that every human being on the planet can do. I've trained over 2,400 people now in, in remote viewing. And I, you know, I mean, uh, haven't really found a single one who's that I just don't get it. Yeah. And, hmm. um, you know, and, because what folks want to do, I mean, even in a level one class where, where somebody will want to, well, I want to name it, you know, and stuff. And as soon as you try that, you get into, you know, leads you down the wrong road. But I can show people um, at all walks of life and all statures or whatever that, hey, this is the information. You got the information until you 
turned it into something, you know, that it wasn't until you, you know, made that leap inside your mind and decided, no, it's an orange field. You know, yeah, right, right. you said it's an orange field, then you thought of Florida, then you thought of this, then you thought, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. all bullshit, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, the training is to keep us from making that leap in consciousness. <laughs> and there's some amazing, amazing, you know, abilities and prospects out there. So, so do you do that uh, at your um, at your institute in, on the island then, or do you also you also have other programs, right? Like, do you have some of the traditional Monroe Institute programs, like Gateway or something like that? There. Yeah, we started um, where we just had our third year, and uh, great. So it's going good. We, uh, yes, very well. We're really, really delighted with the, sort of the reaction we get. We get actually get folks from all over the world, from Australia, from Africa, from the UK, to you know, come into these um, to the programs. And we offer we offer the the standard Monroe Institute programs, the okay. Gateway Voyage. They're yep. all six day six day programs for the most part. Um, Gateway and Guidelines and Lifelines and Exploration Twenty Seven and so on and so forth. Sweet. And I also teach. And I also teach my remote viewing classes as well. I, I do them in weekend classes, um, uh, and and sometimes we, you know, like this past summer we did um, um, because I have people coming from wanting to come from all over the world to take the class, but it's not worth it for them to come for a weekend. Right. <laughs> so so we put together you know level one and level two and level three all in one you know in a six day class. And, uh, and yeah, it worked remarkably well. So, yeah. Wow. That's cool. So I, I want to ask you about your book too, a little bit, cause I had this strange experience. Uh, Darren, Darren will probably laugh at me for this, but <laughs> so I, I finished reading your book and, mm-hmm. and I was talking to my sister and I was like, yeah, I, I got this book that you should read. It's, I think you'd like, think it was pretty cool. Right. And, uh, she goes, Oh, I, I'm reading one right now. I know. I said, I said, it's, I think I told her the title. I said, it's eyes of angel from Paul there. And she goes, I'm reading it right now. And I go, well, you can't be reading it right now. I haven't given it to you yet. Like, cause I was going to give her your book. And we had this big sort of back and forth. I'm like, you can't, where'd, where'd you get this book? She's like, Oh, a friend of mine, this artist friend Warren gave it to me. And I'm like, I must've given you the book. Like you can't be reading it now. It was, this, it was a really weird coincidence that I had just finished it and she was already reading it. So we both had a copy of your book reading it at the same time. So, so, so that, that's basically uh, just so people know, and we'll, we'll link to all your stuff in the show notes, but it's uh, it's kind of like a true story of, of sort of what you went through, right? You, they can learn about your NDEs there and your right. um, gets in a little bit more detail about your, um, you know, the, your, your transition and your, your journey into all this stuff, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Well, even the whole, you know, it's it's basically it's it's written from the from the mindset of a ordinary guy who, you know, who see the reality the reality is that if it hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't believe the damn word of it, uh-huh. you know. But if I'm sort of like an ordinary guy who's sort of dry kicking and screaming through through all of this, going, no, this is crazy, you know. But shit, it's real. It happened. And I can prove it, you know, and that's the cool thing about it. And so it, it comes from that kind of a view, you know, and yeah. uh, that's why a lot of people find it to be, you know, sort of, you know, it's, it's not your typical, you know, new agey, you know, <laughs> um, kind of a, you know, uh, thing. So it's more about sort of real life and being able to apply it and to understand who we really are. 
you know, from a, in, in a much broader context. Yeah. Well, I like that. We're hearing about that more and more, you know, people that start out skeptically and they, and they have personal experiences, uh, spiritual experiences or some kind of enlightening experience and that changes them. And I think the more and more time totally. goes on here, more and more people, you know, are going to have that happen and uh, things are going to keep opening up. That's my kind of take on things. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paul, we want to we want to thank you lots for coming on here. We should probably wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to talk to uh, tell tell our listeners? Uh, any other anything else I should link to besides your book and your Monroe Canada and all that kind of stuff? Oh gosh, uh, yeah. Oh gosh, I don't know. Monroe Institute. Uh, what is the website? www.monroeinstitute-canada.com. Um, and my own website is like Paul Dash Elder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, com. Um, um, gosh, all I, I, I guess, you know, the, well, the only thing I can say is that I, I think I found what's important in life <laughs> for me is, you know, and is to live with passion, hmm. you know, find what you want to do, like you're doing right now, Graham. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, find what you want to do and, 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 and go for it, you know, live with passion live life to the fullest. Even what I've discovered over the years is because there, there's, I've had two more um, near-death experiences since that. So it's actually five now. Wow. Kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I had another heart attack. Um, well, oh gosh, 10 years after the first one, I had a heart, another heart attack. Um, oh gosh, um, 2002, I think. And nothing happened. It was a waste of time. <laughs> Just buggered me off is all. <laughs> and, but about in 2006, uh, I had a heart attack um, again, or a heart incident, I should say, and um, was whisked away from the, the small city where I live, is Port Alberni on Vancouver Island. Right. And uh, it was whisked away on a jet helicopter to the cardiac center in Victoria. And, uh, and while there um, that night, uh, they were... Um, prepping me for an angiogram the next day. And, uh, and I had um, a couple of really profound experiences when, when certain things happened. And then about uh, five years ago now, uh, in February, um, I was in a head-on collision on the highway coming out of the mountains here. And, and, and uh, it was plus four and raining in Port Alberni. And halfway up the mountain, it was minus four and icy. And and um, my car and another car hit head-on, headlight to headlight, and at highway speed, and had another little experience. Wow! And so the trouble—I mean, I'm wondering what the hell's going. I just can't get it right. <laughs> <laughs> One of these times, man. <laughs> or maybe you can. I mean, that, you know, that's uh, maybe it just keeps propelling you on your journey. Well, it's yeah. I th well, and, you know, I, I think so to some degree. But it just uh, to me, it's like I have learned, you know, from it, you know, so much. And I think the biggest thing is that you know I, I have learned to appreciate even the shitty days, right? You know, and 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 because there's going to be them. You know, there's going to be some days you wish you hadn't even got up. You know, but I've learned to appreciate even those because without the crappy days, I wouldn't know how good the good days are. <laughs> yeah, and so. That the thing about it is, I mean, even if you fall down and break your leg or, you know, or something like that, you know, that God, you know, you're alive <laughs> Yeah. when you're hurting, when your heart is aching or when you're, you know, when your body is aching, you know, it's just exquisite almost. It's like, you know, you're alive. 
And that's what the hell we came here for is to experience all of that because if we wanted the easy stuff, we stay on the other side. That's good advice. Yeah, so live it. Yeah, thanks <laughs> a lot, Paul. Yeah, that's great. Thank great you. Uh, note. Oh, yeah, we'd like to really thank you for coming on the show. And uh, I think I'll do some practicing and maybe when we record the intro for this episode, we can do a little remote view yeah. your envelope. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Paul. Take care. Eh? Okay, take care. Good luck okay. with trying, man. Welcome back to the Grand America Show. That was our chat with Paul Elder of the Monroe Institute, Canada. That was a fun one. Yeah. Canada's Ingo Swan. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I'd like to go to that, uh, to Vancouver Island. So we'll link to all that in the show notes. And Why don't you do yeah. that for your next holiday? Yeah, maybe. Maybe a little weekend program. I don't think I have time to do the whole week thing. There's too many other conferences to go to and stuff. I'd like to go to UFO Congress and see... Uh, See, uh, what's his name there coming out? Bob Lazar is going to be there. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I asked to come on the show. He said no. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even have to ask you to ask him. Uh, yeah. And he said no? He said no. no. He's like, nah, I don't think so. Really? Yeah. He's he's only like coast to coast and that's and I was it. I like, like, please? And he didn't respond. Wow. So, yeah, uh, thanks to Paul for coming out. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll see him in Calgary when he does another uh, remote viewing workshop. He's here all the time, so that'd be good. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll have to maybe we can have him on when he's in town. Yeah, have him on the studio live. Maybe do a little live demo or something. We'll see. We'll see. You could <laughs> Skype him in from his hotel or yeah, something. Yeah, it's a bit too. of a mess. I don't think we're not really good for entertaining. I think it's last time we entertained with people sitting on the floor. Really. No meditation? Use the Yeti to record everything. You only have three lines in the mixer. Yeah, that's okay. That was good. No, that was a fun one. Uh, seems like a decent remote viewer. He picked up your picture, your perv picture. Me and Joey both spaced on. What did you say? <laughs> Joey's seen a babbling brook in the mountains. <laughs> I've seen a license plate. Let's try you. I wrote a number on here between 1 and 20. 14. <laughs> you got it. That was pretty quick. Yeah. Wow. That's my favorite number, though. That's why. It's not fair. I'm a terrible remote viewer, too. I'm just... Terrible remote viewer, ter terrible lucid dreamer. Well, no, I'm, I'm getting better. Lucid That's dreaming. One hell of a podcaster. Thanks, buddy. So, um, yeah, spend your, send your spam to Graham. G-R-A-H-A-M at GrahamAmerica.com. Yeah, send your synchronicities, your psychedelic experiences, your feedback, any other guest suggestions or topic suggestions or stuff you like or don't like. Hate mail. Send all that shit to Graham. Yep. Subscribe your friends to the newsletter, grahamerica.ca slash news. <laughs> um, see how many people you can get signed up. Maybe you can sign up 20 people for Christmas. Take care of all your Christmas shopping. Yeah. Just, boom. Merry yeah. Christmas. 
Maybe I'll get Justin to put Merry Christmas in the Christmas newsletter. And it can be like everyone's Christmas present. Yeah, it's simple. Just put your friend's email in there and boom. Boom. They boom, get the email. Like... Hopefully they don't unsubscribe. But yeah, sign up your friends for the newsletter. Review the show on iTunes uh, or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Um, wherever you're listening, review the show. Helps the algorithms. Helps somehow down the road, I suppose. Uh, support our value for value model. We're 100% ad free and always will be. No ads on the website, no ads in the show, no sponsors, nobody to answer to but you. Subscribe, get an email address. Um, and enter the 50 50 uh, money bomb draw. Yeah, every month. That comes with a $5 a month subscription. And like we said in the intro, when we get to 50, we'll do something special. Um, other than that, I don't think there's much else, is there? That's it, man. I feel like I'm forgetting something. No, it's just getting late. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll find the link. You'll find the links to everything we talked about in the show notes, as well as all the music we played in this episode. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks. I'm a rambling grand with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone And don't believe it yet
Yes, nice to be in orbit.